Welcome back to the ATI Podcast. We are flying in with episode 85. We're going to be talking with Mr. Calvin McRoy today of so many projects, Josh, of our fandom from this area. You know, Calvin's a a mineral area native and certainly a guy that we've looked up to in the music scene. And so this is going to be a real treat today. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan of Calvin, as we've talked about so much, obviously. We've talked about him and uh, all the different endeavors he's been involved in. Um, Definitely a huge fan of his and a lot of his friends that he plays music with. Yeah, huge inspirations, which I'm sure we're going to get into later on in the podcast. But just personally, such a huge inspiration for me. And I know probably for you too, you know, in the local music scene, probably responsible for getting us into it, seriously into it, like heavily into it. (laughs) Yeah. So something, you know, I'd say like our friendship is largely built upon the foundation of Last Flight Home as a band in and of itself. You know, we had, we were lucky enough to have the opportunity to book the Last Flight Home self-titled EP release show at Nature's Cup back in the day because I was living above it and you were working there. Yeah. Uh, You had lived above it at some period too. I can't remember exactly when the stars aligned. It was not very long, but yeah, yeah, Jared had lived up in one of those apartments and me and him were roommates, you know, there for a short period of time. Yeah. yeah. And then you and I were roommates yeah. and then me and Brandon were roommates above there. So it was we did like that this frequently. Weird, <laughs> yeah. Circle of everybody lived with each other and that yeah. sort of thing. For the life of me, I cannot remember the other band other than Sunset Tragedy. It was a band that we were actually fond of that we caught at the Rock House years before. Uh, no. I want to say it was like, I know this is wrong. But I feel like it's something like My Friend Microwave, but that was some band in Farmington, I think. There was something to that effect. But they played and they had like old TV monitors on top yeah. of their amps or something. I, yeah, and I cannot remember. They're the actually pretty good. I cannot remember what, what the I name remember. of that band was. I even yeah. forgot that Sunset Tragedy played that. Yeah, and it was just a three-band bill, you know, because yeah. you yeah. wanted to give, obviously, Last Flight Home their time to do their thing. Right. Right. Well, maybe it wasn't, wasn't there something like they were going to do a tour? And then, yeah, so that was kind of the situation. And Randy toured with them. And I think Calvin that, couldn't tour. Yeah. And so Randy was going to fill in on tour. And then Calvin, I think, kind of just had other life responsibilities going. Just like, hey, you know, I don't want to tie you guys down. And, right. And so then Randy took over, but I don't think it lasted many months. But I don't want to shy away from um, not waving but drowning too, because it's such sure. a huge, successful St. Louis band. Been on some big bills with some big bands nationwide, and uh, yeah, they were just a huge success story from St. Right. Louis. So don't want to. He was definitely a part of that, and I don't want to gloss over that either. <laughs> and not waving but drowning, obviously a huge band. I mean, we could go on about, and we will with Calvin specifically, some of the impact that they had absolutely on the Midwest music scene. You know, North America. You United States, you know, they went across all over with very credible artists, built friendships, are still a thing, I guess, that, you know, they have a reunion show or, uh, you know, some more recent recordings as well. And I hope to see some more shows or (laughs) even if it's one off in the future, I know they're all friends and they still get together and jam and, and stay sharp occasionally. So it's a band 
and I, I love seeing stuff like this, you know, that's kind of becoming more common is like these reforming of bands from like 20 years ago. You know, we could give so many examples here recently even, but, you know, they're getting back together. They're kind of rekindling the fires. I mean, botch, great right. example. You know, nobody thought that ever happened again, but botch is, you know, back together. But, you know, th- these are bands that were blowing up on a high trajectory at the same time, not waving, but drowning was. They were in the thick of it. They were in the thick of bands like Zayo and Haste and Thursday and Popper Roach, Lincoln Park, you know, yeah, I mean, just so many artists that we could name that they toured with or played with. Dillinger Escape Plan on their climb and rise to prominence. I, I mean, we could go on and on and on, but Calvin had so many opportunities. Bands like Converge and so on that yeah. they played with. Played amazing festivals like Furnace Fest. You know, yeah. Furnace Fest is still something that goes on today that has arguably is usually the best festival lineup that there is, at least for my musical taste. You right. Know, usually yeah. lives in that heavy music hemisphere. So there's just so much cool shit and opportunities, though, that Not Waving But Drownings had and Calvin was a part of and going to be really fun to kind of get down memory lane with him. And talk about some of those things, though, too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Before we invite Calvin into the conversation, let's talk some current events. And uh, we'll just kind of start out with something a little bit more lighthearted because we're going to have some heavy stuff to cover today uh, somewhat. But I consider it to be lighthearted. And uh, we kind of alluded to it on the last podcast in the opening, the fact that Donald Trump was on Tucker Carlson's new show (laughs) on the same night as the GOP debates. And we saw more of the GOP debates. We just were aware of Donald Trump's appearance. I've since watched that personally. Some funny takeaways. So first and foremost, I talked about on the last podcast, the fact that I listen to things and people that I don't agree with on purpose. And that is for me to be aware of what is going on outside of my personal beliefs and bubble. Um, Not to say that I have a ton of time for it, but, you know, I picked my spots and certainly this was one that I wanted to go seek out. Wasn't even nine minutes into the conversation with these two, and they are talking about Joe Biden's physical state appearance. Oh, my God. Having bird legs. I mean, you look at Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump side by side, and I don't know that they are, you know, the cover of Men's Fitness or the the stunning achievement of the male body. Well, isn't Trump six foot three and 215 pounds? According to him, he (laughs) is uh, the exact same dimensions of Aaron Rodgers. That's insane to me. Michael Rappaport was on Instagram today, and he posted a nice little video, and he was talking about Muhammad Ali in his prime was six three and 215, and he's like, what a disgrace for you to even lie. And I mean, I, and this isn't like fat shaming or anything like that. It's just about how this man blatantly is a con, con man all the yes, time. Yes, he's a con artist. Blatantly a con man. 100%. And for people to be so blinded and, you know, so deep in the Trump mythos, the cult following, the cult of personality, at this point, it's beyond the point of ridiculousness yeah i mean it's just you wonder when the wake up's gonna call wake up call is gonna come it's like it's passed beyond uh, drinking the kool-aid it's just pure stupidity at this i mean point. they literally talked about the time that biden was taken to walk on the beach he spends so much time on the beach and he's not doing any work for the american people was literally the quote out of trump's mouth and the same motherfucker who friday by like three o'clock was taken off to go play golf for the weekend and didn't come back until late sunday night monday morning on some occasions Back to the White House. It was a it was a nine to five Monday, which wasn't even the exact hours. This motherfucker wasn't starting until like you know ten thirty, eleven o'clock right. in the morning, right? Because he would be up tweeting till three o'clock in the morning, having his fucking McDonald's with a fucking fork and knife and. <laughs> 
dipping his steak in ketchup like a fucking psychopath (laughs) yeah i mean low-hanging fruit maybe easy to make fun of maybe yes but you know you have to take away some things in this conversation and i'm gonna go ahead and say maybe this is a controversial take the guy came off like the least unhinged that I've seen him in a long time. He was actually kind of complimentary of Gavin Newsom. Wow. Because, you know, they were kind of debating and talking about, you know, where the election of 2024, the general election is going to be going and who his potential competition might be. And Trump theorized that Biden wouldn't make it. He can't make it to 2024. He's in quote unquote such poor health. Tucker Carlson theorized it'd be Kamala Harris. And Trump said there ain't no way because people don't like her and she doesn't know her job. And you know, the usual shit that he says. But I think uh, they were kind of leaning in the direction, Trump specifically, of Gavin Newsom. And he actually had complimentary things to say about him. He said he was a very nice guy. He always got along with him. Doesn't necessarily agree with his politics. It was like the least controversial thing I'd heard him say about anybody on the other side of the aisle. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of shocking. Didn't really say anything negative about him. But also consider the guy could probably get in the dirt with him if he wanted to because well, yeah. Donnie Jr.'s girlfriend is... Gavin Newsom's ex-wife. Right. Kimberly Guilfoyle, right? Well, and also Gavin Newsom don't play. No, like, you don't. He, he will he will go to he will go toe to toe with you in the ring. Like yeah. I mean You don't want to bring a knife to a sword intellectual sword fight. Right, right? exactly. Right. And he will he will call your bluff and he he will he you know what I mean? He will have banter with Trump and it would probably not be a good thing for Trump. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, it's probably best to kiss ass while he can. And and Gavin's part of that um that big money, that big Democrat money. So right. that's obviously another can of worms you don't want to open up either yeah there is that and he's a guy that uh i mean trump was even like complimenting his good looks and yeah it's just kind of weird yeah to see him be so flattering and complimentary of anybody democratic in general right really the more unhinged person the big takeaway from this conversation if anybody takes the time it's like 45 minutes is quick watch and you're interested enough that is the big takeaway, I think, is that Tucker Carlson is more unhinged than Donald Trump. Tucker <laughs> Carlson now has went full-fledged bonkers. I mean, there is no excuse for the ridiculous, like, conspiracy theory wormholes this motherfucker goes down. Like, he was leading Trump, trying to lead Trump down wormholes of conspiracy theories through the conversation. He was trying to get Trump to say that Epstein was killed in prison. Trump said he didn't think that. And then because Trump was kind of talking shit on Bill Barr, he was trying to say that Bill Barr was getting out ahead of the administration, speaking out of turn and and saying, well, he, he wasn't killed in prison. And Tucker Carlson thinks he was. Trump wasn't committing to that. You know, I think Trump knows obviously more than he lets on. If this is just my opinion, who has the most to gain from Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein being killed in prison out of all of consider the time the place the manner who was in office who's in control of the executive branch right if we're going to go down a real conspiracy theory who who benefits from killing him right right trump yeah because look at those fucking flight logs they're online google it Mm -hmm. look for the epstein island flight logs guess whose name is on there way more than what the proud boys the neocons the white nationalists the trumpians the whatever you know those people the various echo chambers that they subscribe to they are always talking about bill clinton went to epstein's island or you don't even hear about prince andrew anymore which is really irrelevant he's not an american political figure anyway right, right but he wants to talk about the. they want to talk about the clintons and let's talk flight log let's talk tabature where trump went i believe and it's been some time since i've read it now but i know it was no less than six or seven i want to say maybe as many as 12 times he went to epstein island that was documented that is Right. I think right. Clinton made one to three. 
Right. So, I mean, I think we all kind of, at least at this point, have a good idea what took place on Epstein Island. <laughs> I think we have a this pretty a thing, generalized idea. I got something to tell you, folks, and it's going to blow a fucking huge can of worms right now. There is a local businessman, a prominent name, we'll say in the car industry, so that should narrow it down quite a bit, a family name that's well-known in the Farmington region. They go, their car sales buddies go to a South American country at which it is okay to engage in extracurricular white powder substances. Huh. Well, that don't surprise me. As well as having relations with teenagers. Oh, my God, man. So, and they brag about it in their social circles. If it's who I'm thinking it is, it doesn't shock me, though. Right. You know. So, this is the type of mentality. This is, they view this, people of that mindset, that is, that this is acceptable behavior. Hey, it's not. Right. Especially if you're a parent or a father, and most of these people I'm talking about are, you should have at least a layer of empathy beyond the point that even just anybody with normal decency would have in those type of situations. And the excuse is, and I've heard this adjacently, well, it's legal in that country. Well, it's because it's legal in don't another country right. doesn't make it right. Right, exactly. There's a lot of things legal in other countries that don't make it right. That's what I'm saying. Where are people's Where's morality? Right. And I find it sad that and atheist and agnostic people sitting at this table right now right are making comments about morality and holding holding yourself to a higher standard right than these individuals who protest the much that is that they are family people christians good upbringing conservative backgrounds conservative upbringing or whatever you know those descriptors that you hear all the time of course and uh they lead the types of lives that they do. It's hypocrisy 101, right? Yeah, it's just shocking that these regions are breeding grounds for predators. Yeah. You would think that these areas would not be that, but they are, man. <laughs> well, speaking of predators, and we've reported on them here before on the podcast, unfortunately, and particularly in our area, and it's not a subject that I bring up lightly, but I think it's important to be aware of the bad things going on around you so that you can be on the lookout, and that is Farmington School District today yeah. uh, released some findings that supposedly in the middle school area that they've already had to put somebody on administrative leave for three counts of child pornography yeah. being found in the middle school, intermediate school. Um, that's unsettling. I mean, that's news that broke right before we started recording today, so the details are I don't know names or anything like that, but we right. do know it's a first-year It was a new faculty teacher, member. and they did pass their background screenings and checks and everything, so it wasn't like the school didn't handle the hiring correctly. Right. This person obviously got through all that and was doing some wrongdoing and got caught. <laughs> in, in no way, shape, or form do we allude to or mean to make overtures that the school did anything right. wrong. The school district cannot... There's just stuff out of people's control that people Any do, employer. Right, any employer, right. I can tell you, as a landlord, as an employer, there's been so many occasions that I've hired people and I was just blatantly surprised by their behavior a few months down the road or to find out things in their past, like, seems so out of character. People, that duality that people can leave sometimes, it's, I guess, they, you know, part of the human condition. It's a real problem out there. Well, and another thing that people don't understand, too, is we're in a post-COVID world, and how we handle jobs and how people are hired for jobs right. and, how, uh, the like, the turnover rates and, you know, teaching. the in and out. Right, especially with teaching. Yeah. I mean, it, shortage. It's, it's shortage. Nobody wants to be a teacher because they're not paid what they should be paid. You no. know what I mean? So the turnovers are high. They're not keeping people. People are hopping around on jobs. I am just saying I can understand how somebody could slip through the cracks and, you know, somebody like sure. that could slip through the cracks and get that job. So, like, I'm just trying to reiterate, we're not blaming the school district at right. all. You know, that's where I'm going with that. <laughs> and I saw this 
TikTok or Reel or something recently that was seemed like a good old boy. He was kind of going on about, you know, I I find it unfortunate the people that lay the groundwork in this country, you know, the laborers, the people that are part of building infrastructure, those people get paid dirt wages for hard work, long hours. They miss out on their families and that sort of stuff. Whereas some seemingly, we'll say, well-to-do or charmed lifestyle, some young lady is able to get on TikTok and shake her ass for 20 seconds and make millions of dollars. And these guys, they're out laying pavement, road, building infrastructure. I liken that to school teachers. School teachers is one of those industries we've talked about many times on this podcast. They're so underappreciated and need to be lifted up, supported, and the industry as a whole. Something's got to change with that. Educators in general. Childcare as a whole. Right. Absolutely. Whether it be education or, um, you know, just plain up, straight up child care, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. The corruptness of our institutions, we as taxpayers, payers, we give so much money to local. We give so much money to county. We give so much money to state. We give so much money to the Fed. And how are they repaying us? They're repaying us. Let's take the health care system, for example. We're turning around and we're giving money to privatized health care companies to still for a profit, charge us for fucking healthcare coverage that doesn't even cover, in the best case scenario in most cases, 70% of your medical coverage. In the best case scenario. Right. In privatized healthcare. So they are double dipping. They're allowed to do this. CEOs are padding their pockets. They're making tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. If you're looking at it at a corporate level, up to billions. If you're looking at it on the individual CEO level, tens of millions of dollars in bonuses just annually, quarterly. In some cases, when teachers are making forty grand a year, yeah, it's ludicrous. There's something wrong with our country, and has been. I mean, and not only that, are, are we proud that we're like the worst country at everything academically? You know it's what I mean? It's that like, direction. Yeah, where sure. our ranks are terrible. Go look at where we rank in uh, general education. I guarantee it, it's a lot lower than you expected. <laughs> we're not. We're not what we think we are. You know what I mean? We're not. We we. Our number one resource has become, and I think this is this will hail back to a conversation that we had back with Ian Fisher in season one, I think episode 47, late in the game there. Great dude, by the way. He had mentioned, and it didn't really hit me and land with me until hearing it from him specifically, that our number one industry in this country is entertainment. What Absolutely. we do is we produce entertainers. We produce film. We produce music. That is our number one industry now as America, which, you know, me, I guess what we do here is technically considered in the entertainment uh, sector as musicians of the past or present day. That's a part of the entertainment sector. So yeah, I can see that. And then, you know, the freedoms that we have as a country, the ability to create and speak again, entertainment sector. So is this a criticism of where our attentions have directed toward? I wouldn't say that, but we do need to put things in perspective and realize what's important. And it's possible to have both. But I don't think the defaults with the entertainers per se. I think the fault is more so directed in some of those things I talked about earlier, the corrupt institutions that's built upon and allowed in our government. And we just so willy-nilly have been accepting this and taking this. I mean, you're talking about lobbyists. I think it was reported well over 600 lobbyists just in healthcare alone in Washington. In Washington, that doesn't talk for the state level yeah. At every state in 50 states either. Well, and it's uh, it's corruption. It's legal corruption, man. That's exactly what I mean. Until we get money out of politics, it'll never be. It'll never be right. I know I'm kind Our of Our own jumping. representatives and senators <laughs> weren't allowed to fucking negotiate Medicare and Medicaid. Right, right. Forever. Right. I mean, that should tell you how fucked up this whole situation is. 
to nego- negotiate certain plans and premiums. I mean, our priorities are out of whack. We say all that to say this. And getting back to the part that, you know, you can't blame schools and, and things like that. You know, another unfortunate thing that happened here locally, this is something I'm really charged up about that I got to bring up. Specifically, so in the last two days, uh, yesterday, I got a phone call about 3.05 in the afternoon, which is an unusual time for my wife to be calling me because, you know, usually she's back home with the kids and she's back, she works from home, she's at work and they're busy. So I get a call about the time and I just assume maybe the worst is happening, of course, already like got home, kid broke an ankle or something like that, you know. It's where my mind immediately goes. I get the call and, um, hey, I'm, I'm stuck in line. They're not letting the kids out yet. And I'm like, well, why? That's very unusual. It's, you know, like 15 minutes past school letting out plus. And uh, I guess some gossip made its way down the, the pickup line that there had been somebody on the property, an impossible intruder. They're investigating the situation. So they're on soft lockdown. Unfortunately, it's happened before. Yeah. Okay, I think it's happened at like all the schools around here, especially yeah, last year, four or five at times yeah. specifically. We're kind of in rural areas for the most part, especially all these towns adjacent to Farmington. Right. So it's for somebody to be on school property, it's kind of odd, but not completely out of pocket, though, too. Right, yeah. Randomly. Yeah. You know, houses are close enough and, you know, walking distances and proximities, and most of these schools are in some oh, type yeah. of town or township still yet, so... It's hard not to walk past a school. So what are we saying school grounds? Are we saying the ball field? You know, so there's like all these definitions that you need to get into. Like, what are we considering school grounds? Right. Like, how serious is this threat, right? So not ideal. Definitely worth monitoring. Didn't get too worked up about it in the moment. But I said, well, we need to call the school. And I was talking to my wife on the phone. So I hung up with her. Immediately, I called the school and got the situation, what was going on. And basically got told the same thing. We're on a soft lockdown. We had somebody in proximity of the school that... We were concerned with possibly intruders, so we had law enforcement come in. We swept the school, cleared everything. We're letting everybody out now. So I think they dismissed them finally at like 3.07 or something like that. And uh, from what we had gathered in follow-up communications, and then they sent out an automated call. Basically, everything they told us was validated, but the there was a concern possibly of somebody with a firearm nearing school premises, I think was the wording that was used. And that they were approached by law enforcement and they scurried and went in the opposite direction and traveled down Highway 32 toward BB or something to that effect. Well, BB is a rural highway in this area, so it's not like you can just like, right. I mean, you can walk down it, but to walk down there's it, there's not like, like a like, shoulder. Yeah, there's that's certainly a health hazard. <laughs> yeah, it's so. just like an old school two lane highway and there's no shoulder. Right. So it's no like an shoulder, no road. center line, right. no shoulder lines. It drop yeah. the ditches drop off to like prevent flash flooding. Yeah. That type of shit. You know, like your BFE is BFE gets, right? Yeah. Right. Country it can roads. be. Right. <laughs> Country roads take me home, right? <laughs> we think this is the end of it, right? So today again we get a, another call and uh, a mass communication sent out by Bismarck School District, Bismarck Police Department. I believe maybe St. Francis County Sheriff's Department. I, they were certainly involved. I don't remember if a statement came out from them just because it was kind of a whirlwind of information. Both those statements were released and then we got an automated call too that further details on the situation. So this guy, what originally was believed to have been an AR-15 came on to school property and he expressed, called the police at some point. That part of it I'm still not quite clear on. And expressed an interest to engage with law enforcement. Now, that language right there tells you, you know, shoot, you know, a threat of some sort right. to engage with law enforcement. Like, yeah, he's threatening. Who wants to fucking engage with law enforcement? Right. And and what does that mean? Yeah. So that's where your mind goes immediately. And I think after further investigation, 
they found that this person, uh, after getting a fall, call from their family, was mentally unwell, uh, has expressed thoughts of suicide, uh, wanting to have his life ended, but not wanting to do it himself, I guess. An individual that I believe that they characterize as 5'9", 175 pounds, average build, clean cut, perhaps dark hair, that part I'm not real sure on. And that they, in fact, actually had an airsoft rifle that was emulating an AR-15 gun. Oh, God. And that they had expressed interest in harming themselves and wanted to force a situation for police to kill them to end their life. Jesus, man. So, obviously... With mental health issues uh, being paramount, that that's the first thing we're going to be thinking about and a huge concern. So not only do we have this news from Farmington that we talked about earlier, that we have Bismarck, where my kids go, and, and certainly a concern of mine, and what can be done going forward. I you just, just got something from the West County School District while we're recording here, right? Yeah, yeah. saying It's about that exact situation, and um, uh says... Is believed that the individual may have fled to a nearby community, but I guess maybe he was making threats towards schools is what it sounds like. It says the man has a history of mental illness, drug abuse, and recent suicide-related related statements. And the statements have caused alarm, and they suggest the possibility of suicide by cop involving entry into a school or church with a weapon. So that was his intentions, supposedly, from what his statements were. Obviously, somebody that's professing to do these things doesn't have good intentions, right? Right. And, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised back on our ATI podcast for President episode, episode 41, when we talked about some of the policies that we actually believe in. And I specifically expressed that I was actually pro-execution. Right, know, capital yeah. punishment. Yeah, I'm actually, like, I surprised me in that way. <laughs> but yeah. the reason being, and I agree with the arguments that Brandon made, and, and somewhat of what we do on the show, you have to take, is we try to take opposing viewpoints to right. you know, make it worth listening to because right. who wants to hear a room full of guys just agreeing with each other constantly you know it's yeah. fucking makes for a dull show right where i was able to take the angle and lean into the capital punishment piece and i still will say this firmly and you know out of character in character out of character it doesn't matter is the fact that if somebody is threatening to harm somebody in my life my inner circle my friends my family there are very few things that i hold dear in life i'm not big on material possessions you know as far as material possessions i mean if we're being real like instruments and music i really don't care about anything else i even don't care about cars or anything like that like it's just things that pay pay back to me in my emotional states and help me with my mental health they're the only other things that help me outside of my family and my friends, those institutions that are built up around me. If somebody's looking to harm any of that, it is easy for me to get very primal and resort to thoughts of equal or further action in right. retaliation, right? Right. right. So, and I think that goes a part of, you know, protecting your own domain, your kids, your wife. You know, I mean, that's 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 a normal reaction, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't consider myself a badass by any means, but... When you try to take away the only thing a man has, right. or anybody has, it doesn't have to be a man, it doesn't have to be gender specific, Right. you know, people will go to great lengths to protect those things. Right. And in an instance like this where it hits a little bit more home, I am not making any threats, I'm just making promises. Yeah. In the event that I would ever be able to be so lucky to engage with this individual, <laughs> I would be happy to make his fate exactly what he wished it to be. Yeah. Because... There are very few things that I hold sacred in this world, and children is certainly one of them. Yeah. I was I had a childhood that was taken from me, 
and people doing things like this takes childhoods away from people. Right. Yeah. And it's something that can't be given back. Right. And so it's something that I can understand on some level. And um, people who do that and think that that's okay, that's an okay action to take. Yeah. In my opinion, and it's a hot take maybe, you know, if we lose some listeners over it, so be it. They don't deserve to live. At 100%. They do not. That's like the lowest of the low, man. That's uh, that's depravity as worse, you know? I mean, uh, I 100% agree with you on that. That's... Uh... These people are sick, man. The world is sick. And it's it's very sad that this is like becoming more and more commonplace. You know what I mean? I mean, we talk about shootings, mass shootings every day, I feel like, in the United States anymore. You yeah. know? And it just there's we no just had some. there's reaction, no action. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I just feel like. I just feel like there's only reaction and no action. We had it in North Carolina, we just had it at the Dollar General in Florida outside of Jacksonville. It was a uh, white supremacist went in with an AR fifteen with a swall sticker on the side of it into a Dollar General that was all black people and uh, you know, created violent acts, I think killed at least five or so. You know, it's sad because you can't keep the details straight because there's so much of it. Right. And because there's so much of it and there's so much reporting on it too, I think that's part of the problem. I'm not, you know, it's a, it's a weird line. Like you want to know the details and the specifics, but also at the same time, I feel like some of these people are feeling encouraged because they do see it on the news. And that's, you know, a majority of what the news is, is just like so many were shot today and so on, you know, and Okay, here's this squirrel riding a ski. Right, we just jump yeah. to the next thing, right? Yeah, right. It's like it's it's all over the map, and it's hard for people. It desensitizes people. Yeah, it it desensitizes people to the important things, and then kind of you lose focus on the things that are right. important, right? And you get back into talking about attention spans and right. stuff like right. that, right? I have a fault here, I will admit, because there's definitely a mental health aspect of this that. You know, people not in their right mind are going to do, you know, crazy things and people doing the things that we're talking about certainly have to have something mentally deficient or off about them, right? To put it in the most nice way possible. But, I mean, I'm also talking about something specifically affecting me coming at me. So I'm going to have a very primal reaction to something like that. Right. And there's definitely a mental health aspect to all of this. And unfortunately, there's not mental health particularly in this area. Uh, I think it's funny, again, you know, it gets back into the political thing and people turn this into a political thing and gun control and we've talked about that on here. I mean, we don't even have things and provisions in place. I've even talked to like a lot of conservatives, even some of the most extreme conservatives and pro-gun nuts that I know that are pro-red flag laws. Right. Like, why do we not even have something like that? Common that would sense stop gun laws. This. <laughs> that would stop something like this from even being able to happen. Now, again, we're talking airsoft rifle and I'm, you know, if that is, in fact, what's going on here I, I don't know they're going to confiscate or airsoft rifle but i think what the action plan is with this individual specifically is to uh, take them in for a mental health evaluation now that the family's turned them in and uh, in the event that somebody can locate them but the reason that's important that josh your school west county got the statement that it did that you just read is the fact that we talked about that path bb bb is a path from bismarck school district to west county school district that can right. be taken right and uh you know it's almost like West County School District's almost equidistance to Park Hills from Bismarck, from Ironton Bismarck to Bellevue from Bismarck. Bismarck's kind of like in a hotbed, like a central location of like very close to all these other schools. So, you know, once something happens in small communities like this in small schools, it bleeds over into the, in, you know, so much family and generations born and bred into this area too. Yeah, I'm glad my kids don't have school tomorrow because I'd be reluctant about sending them. I could say that for sure. Yeah. And they're off until Tuesday. So hopefully that allows time for the right people to do the right things in these situations. But, um, you know, I don't, I'd, I'd probably be even more of a nut tonight. And, uh, 
I know it was certainly affecting me in preparation of the show tonight and, and that sort of thing. I don't normally get out of my element, but it was just hard for me not to continually think about that right, as yeah. a parent. Yeah, as a parent, your kids are at risk, you know what I mean, uh, whenever something like that goes down. So, right, that's the same way kind of reading that now. It's kind of got me freaked out because my kids aren't off school tomorrow. So Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, crazy world, crazy people. I just, it's, I just hate how common it is. I just, you know. But good on the schools for being reactive and being precautionary yeah. and being communicating with each other and taking the steps to ensure the safety of the children and communicating with us. I would hope that whatever can be done in the fullest extent of the law is done in in this situation because it sounds like this person... And what a cowardly way to go about things. I don't care about the mental health piece again, too. Yes, I understand if you're deranged enough, you, you don't care and you don't maybe have that cog in the machine that tells you that this doesn't make sense and this isn't good. But if the ultimate means is to want to end their life... Don't be a fucking coward and a weak-ass person and come and expect to exact something on innocent children or at least them to be a witness to just because, just to get the end of means which that you are desiring because this isn't the answer for right. that either. Yeah, involving innocence is not the answer. So let's move on to something a little bit lighter. <laughs> and uh, you, of course, heard that Amber Heard changed her name. No, I didn't until you were telling me about that, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> so Amber's using an, ar- an alias, but that alias is Martha Jane Canary. Oh, my goodness. What a name, huh? I love Martha it. Martha Jane Canary. And uh, she's just trying to temporarily, I guess, use an alias. I'm going to start a band, and, and I'm going to name it Martha Jane Canary. Would you be interested in drumming in that band? I actually like the name of that for a band. I actually think it's got a good good little ring to it. It's not bad. Martha, Martha Jane, Canary. Jane Canary. I would probably prefer Mary Jane Canary. <laughs> I think it's got a better ring to it, but yeah, it's, it's still not bad. Every song will be uh, four minutes and 20 seconds long. Yeah. <laughs> Dial that in and we'll definitely have a, a nice little uh, math equation worked out there. No, that's pretty great, though. But yeah, obviously it's uh, to avoid, I guess, whatever celebrities. I mean... She's a celebrity. She has celebrity status. But well, I mean, I would, it, one would argue that it's not quite what it used to be. It's a different status. It's more celebrity of a, now. She infamy. used to be an actress, and now she's more of like an infamous celebrity. Yeah, like you're right. saying, infamy, right? And yeah. there's few people uh, in American entertainment that are more revered than Johnny Depp. And for her to have had the falling out in the way that she did, and I've heard some of the court trial stuff that was batshit crazy as it was, anyways. And yeah, some of it was hilarious, but it was largely hilarious. A lot of it petty, and I'm not saying like. He was like a saint, but goddamn, somebody needs to christen that guy with sainthood for dealing with that crazy bitch as long as he did. <laughs> you know, what a nut for sure. Uh, another big piece of news that I'm very happy to hear, and that is the Proud Boys leader, Joe Biggs, got 17 years for the January 6th case. This is the man that was gloating about overthrowing the Capitol, video footage of him doing it. He was damn near in tears. He was so happy, smiling, hanging out with his boys that do their little uh, brother tug initiations to each other yeah the little ridiculous. girl fights i'm glad they fucking got them though that's for sure 17 years baby enjoy them enjoy well, every I hope second he serves every bit of that 17 year sentence uh another funny thing i wanted to bring up is that the whole georgia case against trump is going to be live streamed over youtube did you, you see what did you see what the georgia governor said today what's that he said that um he did like i guess he had like a he gave a news conference or whatever but at the end of it it, i was kind of listening to it i was shocked he said this is georgia and he said we're a state of the constitution and i'm the governor and we will follow the constitution 
So I was like, wow, man, I was really shocked by that. Like I was glad to hear people are doing what they're supposed to do, the bare minimum, and that's follow the Constitution. Right. And that's all we're asking for. (laughs) We're not asking you not to like Trump. We're just asking you to follow the rules. They, you know. Well, not only are they going to, they were already going to stream it on YouTube, but Fulton County Judge actually gave permission for them to actually televise it too. So this is going to be a network television. Why should it be any different than any other criminal case? You know Well, not all criminal cases are televised though. Right. But I'm just saying majority of high-profile cases are because sure. there's a public interest. And obviously, the former president of the United States being on trial is a public interest. So Absolutely. I could definitely see why a judge would make that decision. And I think it's the right de- decision. I think he should have to face the music just like anybody else. You know, another thing that we could talk about real quickly, too, is Ahsoka. Ahsoka, yeah. yeah. Great season premiere, man. A two-episode premiere. They were long, and, and they gave you a lot. I made it for the first two episodes, but there's three episodes out now as we're recording. Yeah. I will say myself... I, I felt like I stayed up with like most of the animated universe piece of the Star Wars. Yeah, that's, uh, but I still felt a little lost. Yeah, and I think everybody's going to. Um, my my only recommendation for everybody would be to go and watch Rebels because that will that will make make the show make the most sense because basically this is Rebels season five. They're really just jumping in from the end of Rebels and they're trying to. Uh, to me personally, it seems like they're trying to interconnect the newer movies. Yeah, that's yeah. that seems the direction that they're going, and that's that's as far as I'll go because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But um, yeah, man, the first two episodes were great. I thought the casting was brilliant. Um, the music was brilliant, which they got the guy that did the music for Clone Wars and Rebels, so obviously it was going to be on par um, for Star Wars. But uh, yeah, just brilliant. They gave us a lot in the first two episodes. It was action packed. They uh, introduced a bunch of really cool new characters. I'm I'm in love, and I thought it was funny because the first two episodes, like I said, were kind of longer, and they gave us so much, but then that third episode it was kind of like a really short build episode it was like 30 minutes and it just cut you off and left you hanging so i always love that too and give you hungry for more but yeah um rosario dawson's killing it oh yeah she's a really great ahsoka i cannot remember the girl they got to play sabine but i'm in love with her i think not like literally but like her her as an actress her playing sabine i think is perfect i i filoni killed the casting whoever he got to do casting they did great so i've been impressed so far the world building Alyssa said it kind of seemed like my wife she said yeah. it kind of seemed more like like the style was different and i kind of like that like it didn't you know what i mean like the way stuff looked and like yeah. stuff people were wearing and the action scenes and it kind of felt more old schooly. so that was kind of nice too. it's a little slower the costuming i think was something uh and or was another show that i really picked up on the costuming i felt like they really made an effort to level up the costuming and make it seem of the time and Pam made this point as well she she said and complimented the fact of how well consistently time frame wise that still made everything look like the costuming that originally was done in the 70s you know when a new hope right came out right. 77 and so on like there's been a consistency with these I mean, it's still a part of, I guess, the cinematic universe, but I, I mean, it's the TV shows on Disney+. Plus. I'm not sure if there's a different descriptor for that. Right. But uh, they definitely have done a great job with the Star Wars universe, particularly the TV shows, Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Ahsoka, and keeping that costuming consistent brilliant with works of old right yeah and even as they add new characters and develop new characters like even getting them to fit into that you know what i mean they've done a great job with that so yeah i mean i'm not a lot of people hate on disney for the direction they're going with star wars i personally love it i don't know man i want more so I think it's great. Um, I'm kind of biased, though, because she's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like her, and I, I'd like to see more of her story fleshed out. And the Clone Wars animated series early on, she's a pivotal character in that. And uh, it was nice to see her. She's the apprentice of Anakin in that. And, uh, and you know, ultimately where you know that story goes. Yeah. 
you know, Anakin, Anakin becomes Darth Vader and all that. And uh, there's so many. That's one thing. If you've ever watched the originals, I never really got into Star Wars myself until about 2015. Then I watched everything from start to finish chronologically. And uh, it was something that my daughter and I got into in the same time, Aurora, and just kind of stuck with it since then and enjoyed it quite a bit. And I always kind of wrote it off dismissively because my dad was more of a Star Trek versus Star Wars person. Yeah, that happened. We've had that discussion yeah. before. Yeah. And I still probably favor Star Trek overall. But I will say, you know, it's kind of like the John Bottom and Neil Peart conversation. Right, you know, yeah. They're both good, but just in different ways. Right. right? They're their own thing, right? And uh, the Star Wars universe is something that really was not lost on me was the fact that Whenever you watch, you know, that original trilogy starting with A New Hope, like how short the screen time is actually for some of these characters that oh, have yeah. meant lifetimes, you know. Right. We're talking about Obi-Wan specifically, how right. short his screen time is yeah. in the, the original films. Oh, I want to say uh, Darth Vader. He had himself. 18 minutes of screen time, I think. Maybe from total, the first yeah. original three mil- films, I think total yeah. was about 18 minutes of screen time. Yeah, very little. Out of and what? A character that- Four hours of film? Stuck with generations, you oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, you immigrated in the prequels, and then as well right. as the Obi Wan show, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. I mean, you could probably ask almost any child. You could hold up a Darth Vader and say, "Who is this?" And they're probably going to say, "Dark Vader." <laughs> yeah, right. Like, or even, uh, even Arlo still calls him Dark Vader. Even yeah, he's Darth Vader. But, but yeah, I mean, obviously, iconic, iconic character. work. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think uh, what was it? It was one of the film institutions here not too long ago, and they probably TMC, maybe somebody like that. They had rated like the best movie villains of all time, and Darth Vader consistently is always in the top three. Absolutely, it's usually him, the Joker. They're always in that discussion. Yeah, you know, usually in that top three. And what's cool about the Joker? Not to jump ship and go to a different talk, but man, there's so many different brilliant minds that have been behind that too. Yeah, there's so many different people. I mean, that and, have played and even into at that, that time when that was voted for, right. it was mainly Jack Nicholson's Joker because even Heath Ledger's Joker wasn't. I think this is like early 2000s, mid 2000s, even before was, Heath Ledger's depiction. What was the guy that played him in uh, the Adam West Romero? C- Caesar Romero. Yeah, yeah. It. yeah, yeah. He was great too. Yeah, he was great <laughs> for sure. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely some good Jokers out there. I mean, Mark. Everybody always looks Mark Hamill back to Star oh, Wars. He's like one of the best. But the Joker's voice, the yeah. iconic for the Batman animated series, he would be my number one Joker of all time. Wasn't, just didn't like he do Kevin the Killing Connors. Joke too? Well, there is a version of Killing Joke. So Killing Joke is technically an Alan Moore comic. But I'm saying they and it the got adapted to animated, animated film, right? And I don't believe he actually did the voice. I think it was Troy Barker, oh, okay, who does well, Jody's voice <laughs> in Last of Us and yeah. is in actually Last of Us as a cameo. Yeah, and a great voice actor. But he actually took over kind of the Joker mantle. Okay, on so, so, several of those games like the Arkham Asylum, yeah, um, realm of stuff. So it's I think another there's an Arkham Joker too. I think Arkham Origins is the one that he actually does the voice on for the Joker, but it sounds identical to. Hamill. Right, right. And I think he now is taking because Hamill retired it. He refuses to do it anymore. Well, that Kevin Conroy's passed. And now we have a new Joker. So we'll see. I'm excited. I The the, the cut footage for, of, that I seen of the Joker from the Batman, from the Batman yeah. was fucking awesome. Yeah, that guy's a great actor. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really excited to see where that goes. Yeah, yeah. He plays a fucking fruitcake. Uh, I mean, very well. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's always taken on some, like, risky roles. Yeah. He was in Killing of the Sacred Deer. 
If you guys, if everyone has seen that, he's in the Green Knight. He actually was in the Green Knight uh, yet, but I really want to see Banshees of Inner Sheeran. He's in that as well. Barry Coogan is his name. He's a great actor. Check him out. He's been in a lot of great stuff, and he usually doesn't have a lot of big long parts and things, but he he steals the scene every. He chews up the scenery every time. Well, in the Batman, he barely had any screen time, and that whole thing was so intense. Right. That that whole couple minutes of that scene was really intense. Yeah. How is that a deleted scene? Why? I mean, that was crazy good. Right. And short screen time there too though overall so guys i think that kind of covers the current events talk for us this week sorry for the long open but we had some heartfelt things to discuss and wanted a quick hit on a couple other things i don't think we have any better guests than we've had to date than mr calvin mcroy so stick around after the break we're gonna have calvin on the other side us and we've got a very special guest with us this week as we do every week but this one's extra special and that is calvin mcroy the skin master himself <laughs> so special jesus everyone yes understand how special this is so special absolutely it's all downhill from here we've started strong absolutely and I'm, i know you're going to deliver on the promises of your mastery welcome to the pound palace calvin that's what we call our recording area here <laughs> And uh, you being the master of the pound, I figured there'd be no better guest to have at the pound palace. <laughs> I really, I really wish I could have been there in your guys' studio tonight, but I didn't feel like driving twelve hours down to Bismarck or wherever you record from. Yeah, BFE. Yeah, yep, BFE. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, traveling into the negative zone. Yeah. Like you know, you lose brain zone. cells the further south you get. You know. Yeah, for sure. I remember. I grew up around there. that's why you're so much smarter now uh yeah (laughs) we got out of here yeah exactly so we kind of wanted to detail with our audience kind of how we know calvin and i mean how can you not know calvin if you're around the st louis music scene in and of itself or the farmington music scene this cat's been doing it for what close to 20 years calvin doing it or close to or coming up uh yeah let's see um yeah over probably right i think i started yeah way young so I've uh, I've done it more than I've not done it. Yeah, yeah. I think lot. he's been doing it since I was what ten years old. So it puts that in perspective. I've been doing you. it since yeah. your parents were <laughs> doing it to make you son. <laughs> Probably. Oh yeah. And that's not me bragging. That's me just being self aware. I'm old <laughs> yeah. man. 
<laughs> well, with age comes wisdom, though, Calvin, and I know and a lot of experience. And we're going to be getting into some of those experiences today with you. But uh, I will just kind of start with kind of how I first remember meeting you or knowing who you were. I was a little late to the Farmington music scene because I lived a pretty sheltered life, as I've detailed to anybody that's listened to the show frequently, yeah. up until I was like 16 or 17. Then I finally started like going to local shows and that sort of thing. And I want to say it was close to the time that you joined last flight home or were just about to join or just did join last flight home uh, somewhere in that proximity. And everybody was telling me, Oh, Calvin joined last flight home. I'm like, well, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and uh, everybody, Oh, not waving, but drowning. And you know, you're like, Oh, like, I was like, okay. I, I still don't know who that is. Cause I didn't know who any local band was except for last flight home. Cause Marcus would come back to school occasionally and play some of their music for kids with a little Walkman. And some headphones. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that was my only knowledge of like local bands outside of a few like garage bands in high school. Yeah. So um, but I was like, well, that's that's kind of exciting because the people were kind of telling me, oh, this is who not, not Waving But Drowning is. And, you know, they've done some cool stuff and they've toured with these bands, you know, people that we all knew and grew up on and got big while we were in late middle school, early high school, too. And uh, I was like, OK, well, that seems pretty interesting. And then a few demos got released with you on the skins and that sort of thing. I was like, God, I got to see these guys play. And. And before I knew it, bands that I was in playing shows with Last Flight Home open up for you guys or like whatever touring act was on, you guys would be playing close to them or we might open. And I got to see your drumming firsthand. And obviously, immediately I was drawn to it, floored by it, you know, joining the local music scene. And I think you could probably speak to this as a drummer yourself. You're always looking and I know you do things beyond drums, Calvin, too. So I, I'm sure you have an appreciation for overall musicianship individually of each in instrument, but obviously drums, my primary instrument, your primary instrument, probably something you look at initially first. So I'm always locking into what the drummers are doing. And I kind of take an evaluation of, I try to take like what I see and I like from certain drummers and maybe apply that to my craft or something new wrinkle that I could learn. Of course. And right away, you are a guy that just almost everything I watched, I was like, I got to emulate this guy and what he's doing because like, he's just playing the right thing at the right time. Damn. He knows what lane to stick in. He knows how to stay in the pocket. That's true. You know, I used this analogy toward the end of the last show in our introduction and building up to having you on the show. This will be in my I always put, you know, drummers into two categories. You're either a Neil Peart guy or a John Bonham guy. And both are good. Both are great. I wouldn't really, as far as you're talking personal preference at this point, they're both great. Right, right. I wouldn't say either one's better than the other, but I have a personal preference and that's the John Bottom side. And I kind of put you in that John Bottom category. Cheers. And I feel like that's kind of why I've gravitated towards your drumming in and of itself specifically. Well, bless you. Yeah. One's, you? <laughs> one's more of a, yeah, like you said, more of like a technical and one's like more like you could feel and groove. And you definitely, that was what Last Fight Home always got me. You know what I mean? Like your drumming style and that that whole, like just watching you and Ben and like Ben making love to the guitar and you slapping skins. Like that was some of my earliest memories from the music scene that just like gave me goosebumps. Close your eyes, give you goosebumps kind of stuff. So For sure. Yeah. Heartfelt stuff. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're so young, you know what I mean? Like I was pretty young when I, when I first started getting into you guys. So yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely some huge inspiration from all you fellows. So a big thank you from me. So, oh, I mean, you guys are probably some of the reason why I got into the scene and into music and stuff like that. So for sure. Definitely. It was a treat. It was a treat jumping on with those guys because, I mean, the first time Rusty and Ben showed me like Ben and I or Boogie Down, I was thinking, what? And, you know, in <laughs> You know, we used to, in the not waving days, we would play, you know, with like Pennies for Allah. And I toured everywhere wearing that shirt, you know, until it didn't have sleeves left. And 
I was always pimping my dudes and like to be outside Walmart and have in Farmington and have Rusty like, come listen, come out to the car and listen to this song. And it was like, damn, Rusty, like this is really good. Like I I was a fan immediately just thinking, wow, it's like something happened while while I was like focused on trying to hold on to my seat and like keep up with everything like these guys were finding it. So when, when I got the chance to play with those guys, it was, it was an easy, easy, well, let me think about it for a couple months. Right. Right. I immediately said yes until I realized I was the, the anchor slowing them down or so I thought. So I also bailed for that reason, but we can go into that or not, whichever you prefer. Regardless, well, I was a fan. I'm sure they would tell it very differently yeah. as well, though, too, as far as that comment was concerned. Sometimes you just kind of feel like, you know, uh, some. I, I got to do quite a bit before Last Flight Home, and I, I really got to kind of live, live enough of what I wanted to see of a certain um, way of life, so to speak. Hmm. Now you heard that, right? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Real on the other side of that door. Yeah. Thursday Night Raw, baby. <laughs> I think Samantha's about ready to jump from the top rope onto both of those suckers. Regardless. There you go. Might have to have some play-by-play. Yeah. It's, okay. One's crying. Probably a little blood. <laughs> Probably a little blood. <laughs> uh, But yeah, it was, it's like sometimes you want the next group to like get their swing, you know, like. Oh, he's singing. Never mind. I, I thought he was screaming. That's singing, obviously. Yeah, it's beautiful. Singing the, the new Rammstein. He's, he's doing his best to do Uncle Todd's voice back there. Yeah. <laughs> I lost where I was. I was just thinking about the cops showing up here in 20 minutes. You were talking about how you kind of felt, I guess, the the next generation, it was kind of their time to shine and, and do their thing. Yeah, and I, I mean. I guess that's kind of what you were alluding well, to. Well, right, right because it's like. And I, we did, and when I was in Last Flight Home, we did a tour or two, you know, and like got to get out there for a couple of weeks here and there, but the music was so good. And I, I did the, the five song or four song, I forget, EP, self-titled. And I was just so thrilled with the way that turned out. I mean, still to this day. Yeah. And I, I've recorded, you know, here and there, what I would consider quite a bit, but not really. Um, in different settings, I had a, like that drum sound was just like what I always wanted, you know, like my, everything sounded great. Yeah. I'm literally just imagining what's happening back there and it's gotta be awful. (laughs) (laughs) But having had toured already and like really kind of really gave my all to it. I just felt like, you know, I was in the, in the married stage and like working full time at some crappy factory. And I still thought like, this is my, I got to do the, the like rights a thing by society so I can have enough money to buy the new Shaun of the Dead limited edition DVD. So yeah. like, you guys really need to find somebody that doesn't have any like attachments and you guys need to get out because this music is like, don't let this die. I'm like, you, you guys have yeah. to keep this alive. And you know, Bear, I don't know why you didn't, like, I can't think of, I know that you were like in, Probably a couple bands at that time. I, I remember, I'm trying to think, was that the world's time? 
or Worlds was after. So whenever I first started, I was playing with some of the guys in Worlds. We had a uh, straightish hardcore band called To My Grave. I think it was called At Point Blank before that, but we only played a few shows with that incarnation of things. It got kind of like weird and childish because some of us were straight edge, some of us weren't straight edge, and it was supposed to be a straight edge hardcore band, so it was kind of conflicting, right? Yeah, conflict of interest. Um, <laughs> so then I started kind of like a post-hardcore band, but everything that I was ever in almost always had Ridge, Michael, and, and myself in it as far as the nucleus. And then eventually Michael went on to do other things and basically it became me, Jake, and Ridge in every iteration of the band that we were in from that point on. So mm -hmm. I'd say the first time that we saw or played with you, we were probably in maybe that band, but I could be wrong. It might've been a band right after that called, um, God, what was that band? Something December? Endless December. Oh yeah, Endless yeah, December. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a name. I, I know we definitely played a show with you in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then eventually, yes, it was We Were Statues Worlds and we played a few times. Yeah. And uh, we played The Last Flight Home. I think it might have been a reunion show at Cicero's, but that was Lay of the Land, oh, yeah. which became Meyer Giants. So yeah. none of those bands were like the same type of genre at any point either. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still I still listen to the world's stuff because like I remember just watching live and just being like what a brutally heavy freaking band this is like I had never especially for a local band I don't think I've ever smiled quite so large because I'm like this shit is crazy I loved it I love it. It was loud. Now I've I've loved a lot of stuff that you've been involved in. I love your playing. I love watching you. I, I think you're very attractive. Very attractive. Extremely attractive. Extremely attractive. Especially when you had the long hair thing going. I mean, God. I mean just Yes I did. Anyway, um like just like the sheer emotional um veracity of that project was like holy crap i'm thinking how are they like how is this a band from here you know anyway i could go on for a while it was well this kind of goes full circle though too because a lot of the you know it was mainly me and ridge we kind of just got tired of like because i felt like we were probably in a mode not that we were like outwardly expressing this but we were certainly like got into a rut of like playing music that we thought people wanted to hear yeah. instead of what you wanted it's to play rather than what we like were really into and ridge was a guy that, well i'd say ridge was a good portion of it but i'd say really marcus is kind of the one that really opened up a lot of us to shit because Absolutely. we like ripped his ipod and like found out about bands like not waving but drowning right and uh, bands like haste early poison the well mm -hmm. stuff like that that was like kind of the launching points isis for what we were doing with we were statues that turn into worlds and uh and then you know we were all into converge and battle of mice and made out of babies mm -hmm. and bjork oh, and intronaut yeah. so like there was a little bit of that type of stuff in there and uh michael and i were really into like danny elfman score mm -hmm. so nice. um like kind of the pretty parts that we would come up with like actually some of those original ideas were me and michael sitting playing acoustic guitars together and like this is a Danny Elfman progression. Why don't we just put this at the end of this really heavy song yeah. and just jam it out and uh, build it up, you know? So then that became, you know, parts of songs like Sylvia North story and so on. Uh, so I I'm really proud of like the variety that we were able to bring that, but we stood on the shoulders of successes, like a band, not waving, but drowning because we were listening to shit like that, right. you know, Zay, early Zayo, yeah. 
uh, haste like bands that you guys ran around with yeah. back in your homies. late 90s early 2000s homies. other old homies yes yeah I remember my first Zayo CD and somebody, I think somebody burnt it for me and it just had like Zayo like fan, fancy writ across the, uh, the top yeah. of the, the, the rip CD. And I was, I was like so you young. which album it was? I have, Female don't remember. Power? I have no idea. You may have ripped it for me. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Man. Funeral God, what got me into them, but I was already late to the game on them too. Yeah. Funeral of God was great. I remember when they played Farmington, you remember that? Yes. Yeah, the Rock House. House. Uh, yeah, Rock House. And like, I was standing around. Scott, their guitar player, like him and I from those days, we just like hit it off. And and uh, several of the dudes, the singer Corey at the time, which was not Dan because they were like back and forth with Dan. Dan went, was going through a lot of stuff back in those days. So he was kind of like in and out as AO. But anyway, I, I went there to see them and, you know, we, we were talking and I was like, yeah, this is my town. It's so crazy that you guys are here and all this stuff. And I was like, man, I love the record because it was a funeral of God days. And I'm like, yeah, I, I love the sound of it. I, I, I loved the production and every, like literally the three dudes that were there with Zayo that were watching me talk were just like, what? Like they, they were not digging it. And I remember thinking, dude, and I still listen to that record. Like, Ooh, man, I love it. I love it. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like in the, I'd say like the heat of the metalcore boom of the mid 2000s. I know, but I, I, and I understand. Maybe that's why, though, I'm trying to understand like why they wouldn't be into it. Maybe, but it's not like, it's not like you, it's not like you turn it on and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm like catching like Ross Robinson tones here. Right. It's like, I loved the bass, how it was like just, it was up front in the mix, but it was still defined yet like gurgly. I, I just, I love, and the drumming, I, I was, oh, yeah. because I was, you know, I had watched Jesse play like literally, a, a, you know, a hundred times and Jesse was great, but Jesse was loose and sloppy. He was like me, you know, you get him going on something and he's like, I'm going to do a fill that doesn't work and then crash the hell out of this. And he was also a monster. And then the dude, and I'm sorry, I think his name was Steve. I forget what the dude's name after Jesse was before Jeff. But like he was so technical and just his right. roles and precise. Oh man, he was a machine. And compared to the Jesse era, and I mean, I could talk about those dudes forever. I, I that guy in the middle that you're talking about was the one that was on that tour, right? That played Center Stage. I remember. Yeah. Well, uh, Rock House, whatever it was called. Yeah. Was oh yeah. Was that I think the Madball uh, Zayo show? Yeah, I think that was Madball was on that ticket. Yeah, as Mad well Ball. as. Um, was it Scarlet? Scarlet, which that Johansson? I love Scarlet still to this day is fucking fantastic. <laughs> I never heard. Of What's that? Johansson, I said. Johansson. Oh yeah, hey, Johansson. Johansson. Scarlet yeah. Johansson. Um, I didn't watch any of the other bands, but I went to see Zayo, and I was like, I can't wait to show you around my town. And they're like, Dude, we're like literally loading up and driving like right now. Yeah. And, no, but. That was, a, it's crazy that that tour package came to Farmington. It was so fun. Anyways, so great. it was like 05, I want to say. But yeah, man, I still can't believe that that happened. Yeah, it was great. There, there's been some few artists that have come through here that I could believe, to be yeah. honest with you. Well, a lot of that has to do with like Joey O'Farrell. Right, too, like some of the people that were putting together shows. Yeah. Right, for sure. Yep. The very first show that we played in those iteration of bands I was talking about earlier uh, at Point Blank, we opened 
for fucking hoods at Barbarino's. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I didn't know who they were. I had no <laughs> You're clue. like, that's my favorite place to buy wood. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Go get my pre-manufactured cabinets right on down there. Do y'all got them half-curved shower stalls? Yeah, there you go. Them fancies. What? Too rich for my blood. Damn. Get the old worst tub up. But, uh, Mama? Mama? But yeah, man. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it was lost on me. I like, I, there's so many experiences I had at a young age and to be able to sit, I would say I, there's without question, you know, I, and, and Ridge is one of my oldest friends, so I can speak for him in many occasions. I'll do so now, but I know he and I looked at people like you, people like Marcus, people like Brad Sexton in this area. And we're like, we need to get our shit together and at least emulate what these guys do as far as how they go about their business, how they handle themselves, how they conduct themselves at shows, mm-hmm. you know, just little things like we noticed right away, like how you guys would be, you know, backlined and ready. Like you as a drummer would have your kit already all together, ready to just bam, right up on stage, ready to go. There wasn't a huge downtime between bands and setups. Like yeah. you don't know how like valuable those lessons were right. that you were teaching that you didn't even realize that you were teaching to people like me and Ridge. That's awesome. I'm telling you, especially to anyone listening to this, that is in a band now that's like doing their thing. I'm telling you now, like, being a changeover artist is is everything because it's all about the respect you're giving the other acts, the other artists that are out there doing their thing. And the quicker and the, the more professional you can be with, like getting in and out, that is immeasurable. And man, we were so fast up and down. And that was like a thing. Of course, we were well oiled and not waving, but then straight on through to like, you know, of course, the last flight home times and then time and time, eventually it was like we had a ton of garbage, like a ton of things that we were carrying up. But we were a machine. We were like, let's get up, set up and break down super fast, because that is just as important as what you're presenting is the respect you're also giving the fellow artists that are up there and the people that are standing there waiting Right. You know, how many times you got to watch a dude tune his damn guitar before you're like, bruv, give it to me. Let me do it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Get the intonation fixed on that son of a bitch. (laughs) Roman totally agrees. I can hear him back there. He's like, he's like, dad's right. Get it, dad. Get it, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing I want to, you know, I know you've done some other shows and podcasts and things in the past. And, um, you know, I'm always a fan. I'm a fan of you specifically. So I'll follow you anywhere that you go. But that being said, you know, I don't know that I've heard ever or nor have I explicitly asked you kind of like how not waving, but drowning even got together in the first place. That's a good and, question, uh, yeah. you know, like 97, 98, is that about the right time frame, or did you guys get together before? That? Well, so, I mean, I was, I was their second drummer. So they had Scott, and I guess they they came from a band called Hereafter, uh, Mank and Todd did, and um, I think uh, they it was with some other dudes in the area. Well, then that kind of fell apart, and they they started they kept working Todd and Justin. I think Todd was actually playing guitar or something at the beginning of it as well. But anyway, uh, they had like a different singer, but Todd ended up taking over, but it was pretty much Todd and um, Robert Segundo on bass. And then um, a guy named Scott Freeman on drums. And it was kind of funny because I, when they released, I'm sorry if it's loud. It's all good. Um, You're good. they, They had this demo tape and I still have it. Um, the unforgettable fear of being left behind is one, I think is what it's called. And I went and saw them at the side door 
and Todd was like hanging off the ceiling and like next thing I knew he was in the crowd sliding across the floor and people were like trying not to fall on him and I was like yes I just had such a great time watching them um, that I would go back and I'd see them opening for bands that I wouldn't even know and I'd just go up to the city and like watch them and uh, I had a conversation because in my previous band which was called Off the Beaten Path which is way old and you guys prop it's probably that's definitely before your parents met but like yeah <laughs> uh, that was my high school days you know and we had played at the creepy the old creepy a few times and kind of got in with uh the guy that ran the place his name was shannon and i was talking to shannon one night at the side door and i'm like these not waving dudes it's like they they're so much fun to watch and he's like oh yeah i love them and i totally lied to him and this is kind of a hilarious story but it's also super embarrassing so i'm glad i can share it with you um if you can hear me over my child um i talked to uh i totally planted the seed that like their drummer was about to quit and it wasn't even true and this guy was like really i didn't know they were having problems and i'm like oh i mean that's just what i heard i was just feeling you know just feeling it out yeah. Well, next time I saw them, the dude was like, I, I mean, I, I guess Scott is about ready to leave. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really? That's really true. <laughs> that, that lie that I introduced into the world, that's really happening. And then like out of the blue, I get a phone call from a band I've jammed with for a little, like a, a hot minute called Sullen out of St. Louis. And they were like, our old drummer Scott wants to come back to us and he plays for not waving. Would you be interested in trying out for that band to like make it easy for him to come back to us? And I'm like, how does this happen? Wow. You know? So yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I'd probably consider it. <laughs> the next thing I knew, Justin Mank was calling me from his job at Blockbuster Music, which I thought was kind of funny because I worked at Blockbuster Video. So we were right. already yeah. homeless, yeah. you know. There you go. But he's like, yeah, come up. I'm doing a show. It's like a band called Goat Whore. Uh, come hang out. We'll, you know, we'll watch the show and I'll give you the, the record that we're about to put out. So I went up and hung out and it was pretty awesome. Like he gave me the CD before it came out and I ran home. Learned it all in a week. I was up there jamming with them, and like I knew all the stuff because I was like driven, you know. And I sat down and played with them, and they were just like, "How do you know all of this?" Like they were so shocked <laughs> that someone listened to their band, you know. So yeah. Anyway, needless to say, long story even longer. That's you know we just hit it off, and uh, I joined them in '99. I think they started probably '98. I joined. Yeah, so, you know, like with youth, though, comes ambition often and uh, kind of that more of a res resiliency. I'll say, like, I think I've gotten more in myself in my older age, even though I'm more confident in some other respects. Like, I don't know if I would have been, like, as quick to do some of those things back then as you did in those oh, examples, no. though, too. I say that to say this, and then that, that is, like, you kind of I, – I remember, you know, when I first got an opportunity to play with the guys that I play with, and I was – I didn't care about embarrassing myself or anything like, like I was, I was too driven to go do this thing that I really wanted to do. Like, even if there was failure on the other side, like I made myself do it. Right. You know, right. I pushed through yeah, that man. uncertainty and those anxieties. Well, and I mean, you, you can't, you, you, you truthfully in life. And that's what I hope I can teach my kids if they stop crying and screaming long enough. Is like, you know, you, you really have nothing to fear because when you're when you're afraid of a situation or you're afraid of challenging yourself, it's because you don't know how you're going to react if it doesn't go well. Well, if you really know yourself and you're at peace with yourself, you know, and you're like, you know, good or bad, whatever happens, you know, like I'm still going to be good with myself because I'm being myself. And 
like as long as you're true to that really like it's funny i i I was rarely ever like nervous when it comes to music because music's my language you know like i i sit at the drums and i don't have to know what's going on it's like i just i just i just play i just play and interact with these other amazing artists and um it's like that's just how we it's like we're hanging out and we're talking about like sports no one's saying a word and we're just like trading and i i i love that and i've never been afraid of it i've always been excited about it and i've been excited to play the same songs a million times too just to see how they go off and see what's going to happen and like i don't know to me it's just so exciting to do something that you're passionate about and that you love and I don't know. I think uh, fear, fear will keep you in a place that is, um, is a place you don't want to be. It breeds more fear. So believe in yourself. Another thing I noticed about your playing and projects that you've been involved with over the years too, you know, there's something to be said for people that go in and they record a track and, you know, they, they perform that same track live, you know, note for note, beat for beat, so on, so on, piece by piece. I feel like everything that you've ever done, though, there's always been at least a little bit of a creative license between you and everybody else that's in that band that each live performance, you're bringing a new wrinkle to what you're doing, though, too. So it's like it's, the evolution of the sound. In a way, yeah. yeah. But I, I see it more as you guys feeling the moment. You know, you doing what you feel in the moment versus... And it's nothing... And sometimes it might seem a little flashy or whatever it is but i think it's more emoting than it is anything else which kind of furthers some of the things that you're talking well, about. well yeah and you know you know josh saying that it's like the the evolution it is certainly you guys are both exactly right because as you play with people like you as a unit and you as a person as a player are always evolving and you're changing and like we in time and time we had this part that we were playing one night because we had the jam house and that place was you know in a, an old like abandoned theater and and we paid a hundred dollars a month to have 24 7 access at this place and we'd be there late into the night just playing and we'd come up with these parts that you know we would all just like oh wow and we'd jam on it for hours and then we'd listen to it the next day and you know, we'd come up with names for these things like happy art or, you know, like jazz fusion or something dumb like this. Because when we listen back to them, it's like, what on God's earth were we thinking with these? They're so cheesy. But it's like it was such a real and like honest exploration into just what can we make together and, you know, just take adventures on these uh, sounds with one another. And we don't ever have to play them again. We don't ever have to come back to it, but like we'll have a moment for four or five hours where we're just like pushing through something and seeing how far we can take it. And man, how rewarding is that as a musician to like push yourself and push one another to the limits? It's it's quite awesome. Yeah, and you know, whenever you get into those uh, creative spaces, though, too, it's outside of just like pushing yourself and each other, like sometimes there's just like accidental discovery in those moments right. too, that is even like hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. Like I know that there's, I'm a big fan of kind of doing what you're talking about and that is recording practices. Yeah, And I personally like to go back and reflect, like I've got tons of like demos that'll not see the oh, light yeah. of day to anybody of songs that even with like the last band I was in Meyer giants that Shoot. probably will never get actually like recorded properly. 
and put out. Of course. But it had moments that I'm just like, man, if we could replicate this again, it's like you kind of wish that you could capture that lightning in the bottle once again, though, too. So like, that's kind of the double-edged sword sometimes right. You're like that artistic license that you give each other. Right. You want it back. Right. And, you know, honestly, that's the thing about, you know, being a musician and an artist and choosing that path to create, I guess, probably any path to create. It's just, you know, music is kind of my only creative outlet <clears throat> that I've ever, you know, I can't, I couldn't draw a stick figure. So I, or do anything with my hands. So I just like, I play music <laughs> and like live in a zone and a moment and just see where it takes you. And, it is so awesome to just give yourself that, you know, a bit, uh, give yourself that time and just step outside of the critiques and the criticisms and, you know, you being like judging yourself so hard. It's like, this is where I can just be honest and let my crack show and, you know, it's all good. No, you know, people, you know, I don't know, either you love it or you hate it, but you know, there was a moment that just happened. Yeah. What got you originally interested in playing drums, Calvin? Is there like other in, like musicians in your family, or was there like a particular band that was like, "Hey, I want to," you know, I saw Alex Van Halen by the <laughs> I wanted to do that. Or what? Well, what was the situation? Do you recall anything? Uh, I guess maybe being a little rambunctious. Um, I definitely always liked beating on things, and I always had rhythm, and I I made rhythm out of everything I did, like from the way I walk or the way I talk, like uh, so. And I grew up in some tiny, tiny town. Well, until I was like in the third grade and I was always beating on things and my parents were so awesome. And like they, we'd make these little jug drum sets where I could just kind of play things and try things out. And I love the way different things sounded. So I was always just hitting on things. And uh, when I was in the third grade, my aunt, she like once she got some kind of settlement because, or I forget what exactly happened, but it was like a medical malpractice thing. And she got some money and she was Santa Claus one year for like the entire family, like anonymously. I didn't even find out about this till like a handful of years ago. She was already passed, but she sent me like a JC Penny, you know, celebrity pro drum set, which was like this little aluminum thing with the heads that once they're broken, they'll yeah. never be another head, you know? Right. Right. But like, here I was this tiny kid and I remember I had symbols for the first time and like I was working on like, I don't know, but to me, honestly, it's going to sound so stupid, but like I always liked, you know, Native Americans and like the, the tribal drums and just the way you can kind of be percussive and just kind of get lost in the repetition of the drums. So even as a tiny kid, which is funny seeing my kids now grow up and like you see light bulbs going off, but it's like, it's so weird that I was just kind of drawn to that really out of nowhere. I think it was just in me. And I, I was lucky enough to have parents that were just so endlessly patient and just, they gave me the time and, and just the, the ability to to explore that. And man, I hope, if, I hope that I can give that to my kids, whatever it is they, they love or they find. I, I, that's my hugest inspiration from my parents is just that selfless act of punishing themselves for, um, to, to let your child find something that, that they find their voice. For sure. Uh, I noticed like my kids, 
whenever we were still having my giants practices, we used to have them at my house all the time whenever I lived in Farmington and uh, we had all of our gear set up in the basement. So they like to come down occasionally and take a look at what was going on down there. Mm-hmm. They get behind the drum set and they tinker around, you know, hit this and that. They really wanted to do the, do the microphone. Cause I had like a little speaker set up with a microphone <laughs> in it. And uh, so that was a, that was a thing, but I, I would say that like, I think that they're, interest leveled up a little bit once i got these e-drums a few years ago pam bought me some for my birthday so i could you know practice in peace and mm-hmm. that sort of thing i put arlo behind the drum set for the first time and he was already like doing a steady you know like quarter note bass drum like with some fills and he had some of that dexterity between the right and left hand going already and i was like where where is this coming from because <laughs> he's not really seen me play i mean he's heard I me know, play I- he's not really watched me play like, how is this possible? I know where it came from. How's that? And I think you do too. Where, where is that? It came from you, Papa Bear. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Or maybe he saw a video of me and he was like, that's it. That's more likely because I've watched a lot of videos in his presence <laughs> probably of you. But yeah, it's, uh, it's just, but I think there's like a naturalness sometimes though that do come to people like in your instance, you know, that that's what made me think of that. And it's it's even weirder because like, I'd say that's on the low percentage of at least the people that we talk to their initial interest in an instrument or whatever the case is, there's usually at least an uncle, a mom or a dad that's a musician in the family, right. maybe an older, older sibling that kind of at least got them set on some path. Whereas you, you just kind of blindly found that yourself, like innately in you, you were just kind of ready. Yeah. I stuff, mean, right? as far as that goes, but I mean, I can't sell my mom short other than just having the patience of a freaking saint. And she still does. My mother is like next caliber human. Um, but she is a pianist, you know, she plays piano like a church. She doesn't write, but she can sight read like a mofo. And like any music people put in front of her, she just sits down and kind of shakes it and just jams. And I think maybe what impressed me or hooked me by watching my mom at church was the fact that like nothing intimidated her. Now she's told me as I grew, grew up that like she, get, she would get very nervous and like, oh man, I don't, I don't know. I've never heard this song and she's sight reading it and playing it. And like, I, but to me, she was just fearless because she would sit there and play and she would shut her eyes. And it's like that, that ability to just kind of turn off and get into something. Um, obviously I can't play piano, nor do I think I ever could. So maybe drums, just like hitting <laughs> shit stuff was like my thing. I'm like, I'm going to be my mom, but I'm going to be the dumb version of her. And I'm going to play buckets. Had she been doing that like all of your life, though, like even prior to you having your own drum set? Do you remember witnessing her playing? I don't I don't really. I remember I remember her playing at church, but I don't we we didn't have a piano at home. So I didn't see that part of her. But it was cool to like go to church and like see mom like this super secret talent. You know, she was like superwoman all of a sudden. It's like, holy crap. Yeah. How do you get that sound out of that? And I just love sound. I, I love the way people's voices sound. I love the way creaky, creaky floors sound. Like, I am just an audiophile for sure. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm very much the same way. Like, if especially if it's something that intrigues me, it could be the most random thing. I will think of how to, like I can incorporate it, like maybe in a recording or oh, a yeah. song or like refer it to somebody else to use it for yeah. a song that I know depending on like what type of music that they play, like, Oh, well, that'd be cool if you implemented this in some way. You know? Yeah. Well there, there you go. The, uh, the part of like being a musician though, too, I think that a lot is lost on a lot of people 
is the ability to catch those moments and apply them as well. I think probably in, in your lifetime too, though, having seen your mom played at church, you know, there is a percussiveness, a piano is a oh, percussive yeah. instrument, yep. technically. And uh, especially when it comes to, you know, the uh, suppression mm-hmm. of the pedals oh, and yeah. that sort of thing, or and I'm a lot of piano players that I've ever seen, especially like I went to Pentecostal churches growing up. So there was a little kind of no. hanging off the rafters there sort of thing that <laughs> you know people were stomping their foot to you know keep a tempo and that sort of thing and like rocking with the beat of the music or on the offbeat so there was like you know constantly i was visually seeing tempo outside of you know hearing it too so maybe those are some subtleties that you picked up on you know at a young age too yeah i mean i was sitting here foolishly taking all kinds of credit for being the savant that just picked up an instrument and, <laughs> uh, and yeah my mom probably was like calvin you should play drums it'd be cool and i'm like, give me some records, mom and uh, years later it was mowing grass and mowing grass and finally got my cheesiest uh like pawn shop drums and man it was just like i never stopped i just loved creating i loved I love recording. I would record just like loops of instruments and I started experimenting with guitars and keyboards and just like making my own stuff and just seeing where, like how big I could make it. And that's probably like really what lit the fire of just creativity was like, you know, just hooking up four different tape layers together and trying to like loop these things and just seeing what you could make. I never, I mean, I still have those tapes, which is kind of funny because I'm a pack rat, but like, I don't know. I mean, I may have shown one or two people in my entire life, this stuff, you know, that like I labored over in like in sixth grade, you know, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I, I dare not, I, I have a tape player in my basement too, which means I could listen to it, but I kind of, I'm terrified to do so. I'll remember it. I'll remember it. Have I remember it? You know, I don't know. Well, we'll invite you out to a house party and we'll hook it up to my big tape deck. And we'll Let's play do it. Let's do a public so. shaming. I love that idea. Yeah. That is so great. So great. Absolutely. A princess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. One thing I wanted to ask you too, Calvin, you know, early, uh, we kind of men- mentioned these things in passing earlier, but the fact that I know that you've had a lot of special relationships built over the years through various musical project projects. You know, you talked about Scott from Zayo earlier. I know Brendan from yeah. Circus Survive. As another good mm-hmm. buddy of yours. And I know, I think that connection came prior to Sarge oh, yeah, yeah. though, too, right? Like he was in a different project. This day previously. forward, yeah. We, they, toured, they toured with uh, not waving an open hand on on like a full U.S. tour, which was like our last U.S. tour. And um, so, yeah, uh, just been, I mean, there was a time, there was like a week where Brendan was riding with us instead of his own band like you know how sometimes again you just make, meet people in your life and you feel comfortable and yeah. i've always just loved people and i love you know i i love talking to people and getting to know them and just i don't know i it's always been quite a trip to i i i'm not the first to talk that's for sure i kind of take things in and i think that's like the the instant introvert but then like once I kind of gauge the room as most people do, you know, you kind of start to open up, but like, I just love watching people show themselves, you know, like, I don't know, it's interesting and awesome. So, and once I have, like, once people let me in, you know, so to speak, I just, I care, I care for people and I, I don't like letting go. So I certainly like checking in on people and just, 
you know, having lifetime relationships is fun. I, I mean, obviously my most valued friendships came from music, but it's, it kind of goes back to the first thing that we were talking about too, is the fact that it's that commonality, that brotherhood, that kinship, that you're speaking the same yeah. language and, um, you know, even people with personality, let's say challenges and that sort of stuff too. People that might lean to be introvert, you know, I, I find that that is the case with a lot of musicians in particular. Oh, yeah. And music is kind of that that beginning of the communication between you and the next party. And you start to kind of like lower those veils of insecurities and start to open up a little bit more quicker, a little bit more aptly to other people kind of in that same field. Yeah, man. It, it also like as you go through life and you watch other people doing their thing and you you see how other people create and you see what they create. It's like, it's awesome that so many people can make such different things, you know, like people's brains and hearts work so much different. And it's like, we all have the same tools, but it's remarkable how we build. And, and like, there were so many times where just watching these other bands on tour and like, I just was so lucky. I got into Dillinger escape plan, um, from their under the running board EP, I just found it like at random at a street side records where you used to be able to listen to CDs, you know? Right. I was like, oh, and I was like, what the hell on earth is this? And then like two months later, I'm seeing them open for Mr. Bungle um, at um, Club Karma in St. Louis. And fast forward five months later, I'm going on my first effing tour opening for that band. And it's like, I remember thinking, what on earth did I do to deserve like a, a second of this? I never took a second for granted. I still don't. And it's like, I'm just in awe thinking back of the way your life takes you down paths that you could never predict or engineer, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah. And you were so young at the time too, even back to like kind of some of those not waving, but drowning opportunities you're oh, yeah. talking about, like you guys toured and played with bands. Oh, yeah. Like, well, we've already mentioned some of them like Zayo and so on, but I know like you guys had awesome. a friendship with like Papa Roach before yeah. they even got big. They were kind of a band that I always kind of viewed and what I knew about them and the relationship with your band. What I enjoy about them is they kind of had the same mindset that I think that we all kind of subscribe to. And that's like, bring people with you to the top. Like, oh, yeah. you know, the people that you we're in those trench lines with like musician wise or whatever. It's like, I think they like on the cover of some magazine, we're wearing one of your guys' shirts, you know, and that kind of got you some notoriety. You guys yeah. hit the road with them, but you know, there was all kinds of opportunities you had just because of that friendship. Too. Well, yeah. And I'm saying that those, those again, were like, you know, them calling up saying, Hey, you guys want to do five shows to the East. And do you guys want to do like a, a long weekend in the Midwest or whatever? And it's just like, yes, we were that band that was like, yes, we'd always come home and say, all right, now's the way we get serious, guys. We got these riffs. Let's really start making a record. And it's like, oh, and the phone's ringing. Oh, no. Well, shoot. Zayo just wants to go out again. Let's do it. Or, um, you know, like these crazy one-offs where you'd say, well, you know, we were invited to go play Furnace Fest or something. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. well, let's do, you know, a week around it where we're hitting these towns and like the funk junkies and like jumping on these weird ass shows, but they're like huge, uh, head PE and like, just yeah. like so bizarre, but on those shows where it's like, there's this variety and those people are so hungry to see something new and raw. And 
there was one show in uh, Rhode Island, and I have this on videotape. If you guys remember, yeah, no, you know what videotapes are. They're making yes, sir. a comeback. But uh, yeah. Kobe, the singer for Papa Roach, was like, you know, I want to do a song with you guys. And we're like, okay. And he's like, um, what was it? Maybe, uh, shoot, I, I don't remember what the name of the song was. It was, uh, anyway, regardless, it's, it's unimportant. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. So he was like doing the growls. And then he was on the stage with us. And like he was punching my drums. And then like the energy just, and it was not an act. Like this dude was so like pumped at just the raw, just, and it ends in like this freaking pile up where like everyone is in a pile and like, it's getting crazy and like guitars are falling off and Kobe runs over and just starts punching this monitor. Now this is like in front of one of their crowds, you know, so it's a good sized crowd. It's at a place called Lupo's in Providence and he was just like bleeding everywhere. And like, it was raw, like Monday night. And these people were losing their shit. And we had that moment afterwards. We were like, dude, thank you so much for like, you know, making like validating us on this, you know? And he yeah. was like, my God, thank you. He's like, that was like exercising demons. Like he, yeah <laughs> off and you know what that was so genuine and so real and like those dudes were just that kind of group they were just and they still are man they're all heart and they are you know they're take them as you will and you know they do what they do but right. those those guys are a hundred percent sincerity and appreciation and they're just fantastic yeah, I mean, Last Resort, when that came out, that was like uh, top five hit. Oh, top three, yeah, maybe, for sure. Whenever that first came I out. I would right? say, yeah, for sure. Well, I say first came out. They technically demoed that years before. <clears throat> got the record deal and then well, showed out, right? Yeah. So, but, well, when that song was all over the radio and we played that show with them in St. Louis at the Galaxy, and it was when they were kind of just starting to blow up. And they were all on the stage like watching us play and they were like, hey, you guys should do some more shows with us. So what was really cool about that is we got to see them. Like we played shows with them as they were like, like going straight up and, you know, from playing a tiny little show in some club in, you know, wherever uh, Des Moines or something. And then like in five months, we're playing more shows with them at like a freaking huge warehouse where like the light, the lights just kind of stop showing you people, you know, and for dudes like us, you walk out on stage, like the, actually the clip you posted of us, like walking up on the stage, you know, at that show, that was a P Rose show. And like, I remember walking up on stage and there were so many times where I would just get like, I would just laugh because like, it's kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like, I, I was taking pictures with my eyes because it's like, I don't ever want to forget what this moment is like because it's so random and so chance that it's happening. It's, it's just something that even to this day, as I am managing offices of chaos through the Midwest at my day job, it's like you go through this process where it's like you think back to things you got to do and places you got to travel and, you know, avenues of yourself you got to experience. And man, that is life. 
And if you're out there living and you're wondering what you have and you're wondering like what is out there for you, there is everything and nothing out there for you. It's like there is only what you produce and it, there is only what you go after. And some people go after things that they're not even intentionally doing it, but you have to appreciate the path to appreciate um, the finality of everything, because a lot of times paths don't take you anywhere. So if you're not enjoying the road, then, um, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You have to pick another one or make a turn. So, um, I don't know. I'm not trying to get too, uh, you know, metaphorical or dumb with the way I'm talking, but life is awesome and everyone should like, give it a good solid swing. You're never done. So don't, don't stop believing. That's what they say. I've said it a few times here on the show and I know I've probably butchered like the, the quote or whatever, but it's not necessarily about the destination. It's the journey that I'm personally always interested in. And I feel like, you know, we get to flesh that out a little bit with the podcast when we're talking to people and that sort of thing. Whenever I go watch a movie, I've, I've seen enough movies nowadays. It's certainly at this point that I can probably tell you any movie is going to end for the most part. Oh, nice. In the first five or 10 minutes, which is not a great thing. It's not a great trait to have about you. Don't want to see a movie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I keep my mouth shut at least. Okay, good. But anyways, you know, the, the payoff while satisfactory and a very important part of telling any story, it's all about the groundwork that's laid to get there to begin with. So, you know, I, I take that back to life though, too, is you don't realize a lot of these experiences that you have, particularly a lot of things that we've been talking about tonight, you know, those those moments where you're taking mental pictures and some of the adversities that you faced and dealt with in bands, on tour, going from band to band, learning new material, getting over those anxieties of and uncertainties of, you know, is this going to be successful or whatever, like that set you up for later success in life, though, too, whether that was professional or personal success in your relationships. I find myself, you know, looking back so many times at like silly shit that perhaps I thought was really important at the time and certainly laid the groundwork for me today to be able to make the decisions and instantaneous decisions that I do. But, you know, again, it's kind of that iron sharpens iron sort of, I guess, perspective, if you will. Mm. Well, life comes at you so fast. So sometimes it's sometimes you got to just stop. And take an appreciation of your past and your groundwork. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I mean, we're all, uh, the world's so busy. Everybody's just so caught up in everything. Sometimes you need to stop and reflect on those things. You know what Definitely. I mean? Well, yeah, especially when things take a dark turn and you're in a place um, you don't want to be. It's right. It, sometimes just closing your eyes and you know, like willing yourself out of it by drawing from the strength of the things that you've done well in life can like, inspire your next turn. And um, I can't believe I'm not a therapist because I'm helping myself so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll just have to go back and play this again. Whenever we're like, Jesus. You know, feeling a little bit down. Cause we're giving our, our, everybody's like great advice. I should actually follow it. <laughs> play this again. You mean this is being recorded? Yeah. Yeah. Sure is. Sure is. Recorded and streamed, man. Oh, we're, we're trying to make this a monetary thing, but it's just not uh, happening quite, hey, quite yet. But you're not, you're not ready to give up. No, I'm not. But uh, we know a famous person like Calvin McRoy might might put us over the edge. <laughs> so another feather in your cap. You will have five listens. If you let this up for a year, trust me, they will come. All right? All right. It might be me all five times, but it yes, doesn't, it'll I, happen. Let's talk about some more juice. You got any uh, other things cool? Come on. Like, I feel yeah, like absolutely. I've made us so romantic here where I was just – 
so appreciating the finer things. You know, and I think I may have said this before. It's one of my favorite stories. You know, you mentioned ISIS earlier. Um, Aaron Turner, I was big into ISIS when we were playing with them as well. And we played, you know, a couple handfuls of shows with them. We were playing a show called The Last Place on, or at the venue called The Last Place on Earth in Memphis. And I went in to use the, the loo. I was trying to find a place that I could leave a deposit, if you will. Huh. And um, they had like these little half walls and no doors. And I like walked by and mm. I was looking for a good toilet. And Aaron Turner was like sitting there just shitting. <laughs> he was like looking straight into my eyes. And I just looked at him <laughs> and I said, hey, man. And he goes, <laughs> I'll never forget the fact that. And then I saw them play at uh, um, Foam. I saw uh, Mammifer play at Foam. And Mammifer's one of his projects, and they're pretty freaking awesome. Uh, Brian Cook from Russian Circles is in it. And um, I went and saw them and Sumac, of course. Uh, and like I bought uh, an Old Man Gloom record from Aaron, and he was, I was like, I'll take this one. And he's like, really and i said you know you probably don't remember me but i saw you shitting one time at (laughs) (laughs) and it was just a nice little moment of just randomness and if i was cooler i I would have gone deeper into that conversation but that's where i left it and he was probably like that's a weird exchange that i had with that guy so it was nice that's fantastic i uh i have a way of like embarrassing myself sometimes whenever i see you know like musicians that I look up to or whatever, like same, it just happens. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not asking for it or anything like that. So Danny Walker from Intranaut, mm. they played pops. Mm-hmm. They were opening for, I don't remember who was all on the show, but I know Def Heaven was the headliner and I was really just there to see Intranaut and Def Heaven. I didn't really care about whoever else was on the bill from what I remember. And Danny Walker was one of my favorite drummers for the longest time. Still a great drummer. Oh, yeah. Um, but his stuff in Intronaut specifically is, you know, big, big fan. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I was talking to whoever we had a group of people with us and somebody I wasn't even really friends with. We both had to go take a leak at the same time. And we go into pops bathroom, men's bathroom to go to the restroom and go walk up to the urinal. And I'm not really paying attention to who's around me. And I'm like, just going on about like Danny Walker, badass drummer. I mean, oh man, you you don't know who he is? Then oh, you gotta check out this song if they play it tonight. Like the sick time change he does, and I'm just going full bore, just pissing loudly. And all of a sudden, he whips around and looks at me straight in the eyes, like while I'm pissing <laughs> right next to me in the urinal, and I'm just giving him lip service, and I'm like, uh, hey. And I just put my head back down and, and just went on about our business. Nothing yeah. else was said, but you know, it was like, just kind of an awkward yeah. happenstance moment. <laughs> Couldn't speak kind of deal. Just like, Hey, yeah. I think he maybe wanted to say thank you. Maybe, but maybe, probably maybe he felt weird because you guys are both peeing, but I think maybe he was probably, he probably has remembered that moment often and thought he's probably thought back on it, wishing he had looked over the side to see how big your wanker was. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would have been disappointed. Um, well, I don't know. Depends. Maybe, yeah. You never know. If he's into small guys, maybe. Hey. Been into it, so. <laughs> huge in Japan. <laughs> you know, I, I was telling him I'm growing out of shirt. So, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> no, I'm neither. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's that it's like that. You know, when you meet anyone, I met Bruce Campbell at a book signing and. Like, I'm a huge uh, horror movie fan and Evil Dead and everything the man's done, among a ton of things. But 
I went with my brother and it was if Chens could kill and we waited in line and walked in to see him. And I remember just being so starstruck and uh, I walked up to him and he shook my hand. And the first thing he did was he would ask you your name, you know, but he's like, no, don't tell me. You look like a Peter, he says. (laughs) You look like a Peter is what he told me. And I immediately just like cracked up in his face because the fact that the first thing he said to me was, you look like a Peter. I will never forget it. It was the funniest no. damn thing. You should have told him your name That's was great. Dick. I should have. <laughs> so close, close. <laughs> what a thing to tell somebody. I just, and you know, I was like, <laughs> I just cracked up and I don't know. It's one of those moments. That was like, it's kind of like us whenever we met Greg Sestero. We were yep. up at the, what's that place Alamo called? Alamo Draft House. Yeah, the Alamo Draft House, sitting at the bar, and he just kind of walks up behind us, standing behind me and Barrett. That was yeah. kind of wild. I mean, he's not like, you know, but I mean, it was still, it was still, fame, yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, doesn't awesome. have all the accolades of a Bruce Campbell, but a similar. Right. Following. It was just wild. He was just like kind of standing there behind us. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It was kind of <laughs> The room guy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, or even Anthony at the, we went and seen, you took me to see Seosin with Anthony Green, oh, yeah. which was like, I never thought I was ever going to get to experience that. So that was really cool that they did that little tour. And uh, it was cool of you to take me with you. But yeah, um, the sound at the back of that place, they like the soundboard yeah. is in the back of that place kind of it was the ready room the ready room is that where it was yeah yeah anyway so you remember where the soundboard was it's kind of like back behind the stage and then like everybody was in the crowd you know what i mean well we were kind of sitting back that by that little cubicle where the soundboard was and i was kind of leaning on it and uh barrett nudged me and he's like look and i turn around and it's like i'm rubbing elbows with anthony green you know he's such a huge inspiration for me a big fan couldn't say a word to him yeah couldn't say a word (laughs) i couldn't say i could not say a word I just kind of nodded. <laughs> and that's a shame because Anthony is like sweetheart. a pure sweetheart. Yeah. Like a hugger and a lover and just the most most respectful to others and just complimentary. And he just will shower you with praise. It's like the man is, he is a, a master of his craft. He's so charming. Yeah. So excellent, charming. excellent, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ben Kohler was another one for me. I got a little starstruck. Obviously, he's on my Mount Rushmore drummers personally. Anyways, we played we played a real quick story of uh, playing with we we did, you know, some shows with Converge and we played a show at the Fireside Bowl in Chicago with Converge and Ben was playing for them and he hadn't been playing for them that long. I don't think at the time. I don't know. But um, so he was he was pretty quiet and a lot less goofy and yeah. quite skinny. But I, I watched him play and when he, I helped him carry his drums down and and I was like, you're a damn machine. Like you are a damn machine. And he said, I am so tired. <laughs> it was like the four, three or four words he said. He's like, I'm so tired. And it's like I felt him. I'm like, yeah, I got you. I got you. That was it. That was my entire exchange with that dude. But um, yeah, talk about another band that's like all heart. Converge is, you know, we played a handful of shows with them, you know, in a couple different iterations. But like after that show specifically, um, Jacob, the singer, he was, you know, he was settling up after the show and the show did great and they, they did over. And, you know, we just had a set guarantee. It was nothing, you know. And he came outside and he like, he tipped us a couple extra and he just like, he said, man, I appreciate you guys out here doing this, you know, doing this for nothing. And he like, 
Wow. Every bit of extra that they got for that show, he split amongst every one of the bands, us included. And it was like such a kind and genuine moment of just like appreciation between, you know, artists. It was, I've never forgotten that either. Just that kindness shown to the little guy, so to speak. So I've always felt like that's kind of what's so great about like the music scene as a whole. Like yeah. I, I always feel like it's so like everybody uplifts each other, praises each other, tries. To, I mean, obviously, when we were younger, there was there was some tardy moments moments in the scene. Like yeah, that's going to happen. Bad actors, you know what I mean. Scene. But for the most part, welcoming, loving, uplifting, and it was you know it was a great time. It was like it was like our thing, and it, you know it was like our adolescent years, and like man. I wish I could go back to it all the time, man. <laughs> it's so nostalgic and real. It's probably still like that out there for some lucky young bastard. I broke it. I was like, you know, it's weird. It says I've got full internet, but maybe one of the kids <laughs> is watching porn in bed. I don't I know. I mean, that's what I was doing at that age. Hell yeah. Yeah, five. Definitely. Five, yeah, probably. I remember my three-year-old. It was definitely your three-year-old. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, this isn't, this isn't Blippi. What's he doing? <laughs> that's great. Well, I was happy to hear the story about Jacob Bannon. That doesn't surprise me, though. Like, I've seen those guys so many times, and every time that he, like, looks out in the crowd at me because I'm always up front, like, I feel like he sees me and recognizes me, but I've never, like, really talked to him. Again, a kind of a guy I've been, like, kind of starstruck by. Right. And then, like, they've got such a legend about them, though, too, because I've, like, watched so many, you know, videos and things that they've done in the past, just releases of their own. And, uh, like, their pregame ritual of, like, hitting each other with like belts and shit and just like the mind frame that they get into. And I'm just like, that's kind of badass, but it kind of makes me afraid of you. <laughs> You're like willing to go links that I'm not quite sure that I am. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's the whole band. Sure. Like Kurt, the guitar player, we played a show. We played the freaking Jupiter CD release party in uh, the cave in Jupiter CD release party in like somewhere in Massachusetts, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it was at the Middle East. Um, and after that show, uh, Kurt from Converge was like, if you guys want to stay with me, you can. Like, we literally stayed at his house. And he left the next morning because he had to, like, go to work or something and left us in his house. And I was like, just lock up, you know, and leave the key in the – like, that is the caliber. I mean, it's crazy. Now we had nothing but respect for all of those dudes. And like we left shortly after he left, but the fact that that even went down, I mean, when us not waving dudes get together and we talk, like we frequently mention that moment of just like, do you remember? And it was, it's hilarious. It's like, <laughs> I sure as the hell wasn't to be honest with you. No, I will say there was a few times, like whenever we were booking shows of like nature's cup and then Barberino's where we had bands come in and they crashed. We had kind of the flop apartment. I don't know if you ever made your way over there, Calvin. Didn't Malamute the, stay the night Yeah, with Malamute you? stayed with us a few times. Lost as, 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 Apparitions. There's a couple other bands we let stay with us, but we kind of already knew the Malamute guys, and we kind of already knew the Lost as, Apparitions guys because we had played other shows with them in the past. And it was kind of those situations, like you mentioned, Calvin, like you meet somebody and there's automatically like at least a kinship on some level. Yeah. It's kind of different. You know, it wasn't like they were total strangers, but we also didn't really know them personally. Right. Very well either. Sleeping under the roof with them. But I was also like (laughs) 19, 20 at the time doing these things. So it's like, send it. Lived a little more recklessly at the time. Yeah. (laughs) You know? 
young and dumb. So Calvin, there's actually some kind of random questions I wanted to throw at you too, to let our audience kind of get to know you and your personality a little bit more in the event somebody's listening today and they don't know you and your works of old and maybe works of the future. I used to be so cool, guys. He's still cool. Don't let him fool you. He's still cool, yeah. But we're going to... We're going to have music on the on-demand version of the podcast, of course, uh, coming into Calvin's interview and discussion today. Uh, music going out and a full-length song at the end of the show, too. So be sure to stick around for that so you get a nice sample of Calvin's talents. And uh, it, they will be especially picked by me with a focus Ooh. on his drumming. Well, and, sure. and they've, yeah. they've heard Carried some it. already, too, because we've sure. used some of the ST stuff on our ATI stuff. Yes, yes, so. yes, yes. I hear, I, hear it every, I hear it every time. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that ad that, that is annoying okay. everybody over and over is, yes, that is Calvin <laughs> drumming on that. <laughs> I'm so, so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we'll keep it music-related to get things started. Uh, let's Let's go... Personal Mount Rushmore of drumming influences. Let's do four people that you would consider an influence for you. Okay, fair enough. Uh, John Paul Gaster from Clutch. He's all about the heart and the groove. Igor Cavalera, KSAD, um, changed my drumming. Uh, one that may be a surprise, maybe not. Um, Danny Schuler from Biohazard. Okay. That guy in his fills and just the fluidity in which he plays um and let's see number four god there's so many freaking fantastic drummers um how about um uh someone i'm listening to a lot now uh of course i'm blanking on his last name elliot from car bomb do you know car bomb? yeah car bomb's amazing um to me it's like when when you're listening to drummers that um kind of give you something to uh like inspire you Definitely. And then there are drummers that you listen to and you just ponder like what planet they're from. Why am I even trying? Um, Elliot, from Car- Elliot from Carbon. Hoffman yeah, Hoffman. is his That's exactly right. God, good job. You're good. Help of Google. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to edit that out. I knew it the whole time. Well, I met, I saw him in Vegas. I was there for a work trip and I was going up an escalator in the middle of some freaking God knows some tourist trap. I hate Vegas. And as I was going up the escalator, Elliot and the bass player for Car Bomb are in front of me on the, and I'm like watching him thinking, is that really? So I just walked up after we got off the escalator. I'm like, Elliot? He says, hey. And then we had a little awkward exchange where I got to look like a total putz and <laughs> I told him how his drumming makes me wonder like what the hell I was doing wrong or, or right. I don't know. But um, anyway, the guy's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's fucking fantastic without question. Uh, let's say that we are casting a biopic of Calvin McRoy. Uh, who would be playing Calvin McRoy and why is it Bruce Campbell? Well, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce would never do it because um, he, he is, he has got far too much self-respect, but he, someone I love is Jack Black and Jack Black is older than me, but he can play me. He can 100. even play me as a child. Because every time I'm, I'm a huge fan and every time I watch him, I just laugh and tears of just pure joy. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's my hero. Absolutely. That's a fair pick. I think that'd be a great, great. great Let's say you are to put on a dream one-off show with not waving, but drowning as the opener. And we'll, we'll do, this is option a, and we'll do B with last light home here in a moment. It's a four band show. So you guys are the opener. So three bands that would play after you guys. 
what would be a dream show, one-off show for you? Not waiting but drowning first. Jesus. I mean, I hate to sound like a chode, but like, honestly, I've played some shows where it was like a dream. <clears throat> and there's so many, <clears throat> I could say like Metallica or something just to get a chance to play like an enormous damn place where like people don't exist. It's just a bunch of ants. That would be quite remarkable. Um, but if I would say, I mean, I'd love to play with like, you know, uh, Mr. Bungle or something that, because I'd love to, to watch them and like maybe get to hang out with them. But honestly, my dream show would be a bunch of my friends' bands and just, you know, like, um, getting the groups back together, haste, maybe circa, um, why not Zayo? Let's just do it. Let's just get yeah. together and have a damn good time. That sounds like a good time for me. That sounds like a party to me. And that's Perfect. definitely, uh, some bands, including not waving, but drowning. That would have been in a party mix for me back in the day. So absolutely. Do you like cool. how I just, I used my dream opportunity to just try and schedule a free time to hang out with some friends. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Want to talk about a wasted opportunity? So let's 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 pivot that to the last flight home piece, and let's say last flight home's opening, and you've got three bands to pick from. So you use Circa, Haste, and Zayo for not waving without any repeats. Let's let's do three more. Um. Well. Um. How about uh, Code Seven? Cool. Played with them a couple times or a few times, and they're great. I'd love to see them again. Um, oh boy, I don't know. So, uh, a band I love right now that I'd love to just get an opportunity to play with and last flight home might go great with it is a band called the contortionist. Okay. Like I have not, I have not. Um, I love that stuff. Um, and, uh, obviously dream theater, obviously. I mean, guys, that sounds like a good mix because I think they're still alive and, uh, their bass player was crazy looking, looked like a robot. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a great fit. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I would do that just to punish the other dudes, I think. And I think Ben, actually, I want to change Dream Theater for Creed because just today, um, <laughs> Ben Ben texted me and said, dude, uh, if Creed does come close to us on this tour, will you go with me? And I said, <laughs> Of course. <laughs> That would be legendary. <laughs> of course we will go. And we will sing every bit of that first record, the only one we listen to. With my own prism on it, right? Right, my own prism. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's that Frederictown Twain. It's going to be my I own prism. Prism. Sure. <laughs> Razor. World. Yeah, yeah, Razor. Razor. Razor, yeah. Let's, uh, let's get back into horror movies. I know you're a big horror movie buff. If you, let's say, Desert Island, you got a VHS player. Uh, you're able to take five VHSs. What films are you taking? And it doesn't necessarily have to be horror, but you know, if you want to take that lane to make it easier to, for you to make some selections, go for it. Um, okay, so a movie that I'll never tire of because it was my f- first uh, exposure to horror was uh, the 1968 Night of the Living Dead. Okay, classic. Yeah, I would definitely take that because for some reason that movie still to this day holds up. It does, and it it's. Anyway, I could go on and on. Um, I would take that. I would take some Dead Alive for sure. Um, it just always makes me makes me good. Um, uh, I would probably say um, 
since I can only take a movie. I would definitely take Ash versus Evil Dead because I'm going to consider that one piece, even though it would be like three seasons worth of viewing. So I'm totally tricking all of you guys by just taking more than I should. Um, let's I'll let see. you slide on that one. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. There are so many. Uh, of course, a classic probably for everyone, the Fulci Zombie. Um, again, I can never get enough of that movie. I think it's as beautiful as it is ridiculous and disgusting. And anytime a zombie and a shark can battle it out and a freaking zombie wins, I'm in all day. Yes. Yes. And, uh, so number five, um, I feel like it should be something really scary. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm like really hungry for something really scary. And I know you just saw talk to me Yeah. and I'm hoping that is it. But I want to see something like really scary in there. And which uh, one was that? Talk to me. I don't know if I consider "Talk to Me" as scary as I do just so brilliantly crafted. Oh, uh, it's got originality to it, a freshness in storytelling that I feel like gets lost on today's cinema. So for that reason, I will always appreciate it. And it's it's hard to not. It might be the best horror movie of the year. I mean, there's some other people, some other movies in the discussion for sure, but. It uh, just for originality alone, it just has that impact. I feel like I haven't, I haven't felt this way like about a, a horror movie coming out of the gate since probably it follows. But it follows didn't even hit me immediately either. That one was kind of a slow burn for me. I had to watch that two or three times to really appreciate that one. But the original concepts that are there are still fresh. Like you know, it follows. The concept is you know this ghoul or goblin or curse follows like std wise like it's an std like i was like seems like somebody should have already thought of this and this should have already been a movie right but it kind of i mean it's been kind of touched on but not in the way that that was that was full bore in that direction uh this has kind of that freshness to it it's a story it's almost like a monkey paw based story but it adds new wrinkles the payoff again you kind of see the ending coming but the payoff is still satisfactory and it's the beauty in, in which they tell the story and they can go so many directions if they continue making them. And it turns out they are going to make a second one. They just A24 announced that. So it's, they, they don't give you that impression in the movie per se, but they announced it uh, on their Instagram like two weeks ago. I think A24 did. So Money, money hungry sons of bitches. Yeah. My, my last number, uh, my last movie would be the rom-com that is Shaun of the Dead because um, I love... Uh, I love Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, like with all my heart. And I would love to like be friends with those guys and just talk to them. Edgar Wright as well. But yeah. Um, but that movie, no matter what mood I am in, checks the box because it's laughs, it's gore, it's intensity. It's just everything I love about movies just kind of wrapped into one. I think an underrated banger for them that gets overlooked is uh, World's End. Like I love that movie is equally even though it came you know a few years down the line or oh yeah i mean the the whole cornetto trilogy is like like i mean that the the living dead trilogy as i consider it, and the evil dead trilogy are like those are like my trio of uh trinities so i would probably put the revenge trilogy in my chop trio of trilogies just because okay, i'm well. such a i'm such a fan and old boy might be my favorite movie of all time certainly in the discussion so Oh boy, my God! Did you watch the remake? I know. I did, and it, it 
it it's unfortunate because I love everybody that's involved with it. Spike yeah. Lee, Josh yep. Brolin, uh, Shripo Kylie, or however you pronounce his name, the South African dude that's from uh, District Nine. He plays oh, the yeah. heel in that. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a great actor too. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, it just didn't execute. I mean, they tried to do pay the original justice and tried to stick to the storyline. I don't know. It's just. It kind of stuck to the roadmap, but it just it didn't come out the same. I don't. It just it doesn't have the same magic, without question. Understood. Kind of comes off as a bastardization, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with the original being such like a freaking gasper, I mean, I yeah. can't I can't imagine redoing it. I think that's kind of anyway. Yeah, I saw the original just a couple years after it come out. You know, I was a little late to that, but not extremely late. Actually, the person that turned me on to it was Joey. Uh, when Joey and I started becoming friends and talking about movies and stuff like that, Joey Rakavan, he had recommended it to me and kind of told me the premise of it. And he did a very good job of telling me the premise of it, but also not giving anything away. Oh, and I was like, this sounds very interesting. And, and he was talking about how it kind of had comic book elements. And he knew I was a huge, hugely into comic books. And I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll give it a, ch- uh, a check out. And my God, I, I wasn't prepared for how much I would love it. You know, <laughs> oh, and go man. on to love it. I've seen it several times. Fantastic film. So let's uh, let's end it easy on a easy note, maybe, and let's talk about some things that you're currently spinning, Calvin. With some stuff that's heavy in the rotation for you that you're listening to. Well, I'm still a, a product of like everything that shaped me, so I'm still the dude that you know. I got into record collecting far later. Well, I guess it's been almost ten years now because it was my record player was a gift uh, for, for my wedding from a guy that you, uh, spoke to on here as well, Jared PQ. Um, I always told him I would never get into vinyl because the last thing I need is another freaking junk piece to collect. And, uh, now look at me, what a poor punk I am. But regardless, I get like these repressings of all of these classic records that I love so much. I was telling you a little bit about Oddfellows Rest earlier, the crowbar record, because that one is like, desert island record for me um so like i still listen to the standards like the dredges and all this other crap um but as far as new stuff i really love i i went and saw hubris which i've really been i'm into a lot of like instrumental post-rock i think that's kind of where i live most but um i love the contortionist that is a band that i would definitely recommend checking out musicality and the vocals and the lyrics even are just like they really hit with me. Um, yeah, there are so many freaking bands and listening to Spotify. I, I actually love Spotify because I find a ton of new music there. Uh, Audrey Fall is a band I love as well. Novo Amor, Sigaros, of course. Um, but like you find bands on there and you just go into their band camp and buy their records and wait yeah. for them to come to your town. I, I love Spotify for that. I, I know it's kind of a shitty thing on the uh for the bands but well i look at it as like the commercial for bands um it's not i mean obviously the streaming factor of things they don't get very much money but doing exactly what you talked about doing though and that's use it as the commercial it's free advertisement for most bands and then go to their band camp and then support them once you do find something that you like and kind of weed through that that process that way i think that's the best any of us can do you know and i'm totally stoked on the new sumac that should be coming out um, I guess maybe the beginning of next year. We'll see. Uh, I know they're getting ready to play in Columbia, Missouri, I believe in November, which oddly they come to Columbia more than St. Louis. I a guess they bit, must yeah, have I've a decent turnout. That. 
They're like Kansas City, Columbia, Springfield, but no St. Louis. Yeah, it's starting <laughs> to be a little bit more prominent. I don't know right. what's up with St. Louis, but St. Louis needs to be better about supporting touring artists. We had spotlights here a few weeks ago, and they said that they didn't have anybody turn out for their shows. Uh, and the only reason that they keep coming back is the red flag gives them a decent guarantee to come out. So even if there's a bad turnout, they usually stop if, if it's on their way. Yeah. They said it's a very difficult city for them to play, which is breaks my heart to hear because they're such phenomenal musicians. Oh, man, I've I've I really wanted to hit their last show. I First time I saw Spotlights, they didn't even have a drummer. It was like a drum machine or it was all like back backing tape. <clears throat> and I remember just watching them thinking, my God this band freaking rules and like i gotta try and become their drummer and i didn't even should have started a nasty rumor i mean you had great success with that in the past i heard their drum machines about ready to quit. <laughs> i heard your drum machine's been talking shit behind you guys that back. drum machine <laughs> unplug that drum machine um but the second time I, I i saw them open for melvin's and they had uh uh not mario uh chris chris and they were so good. Goddamn. The band is so great. Yeah. Chris is they, an incredible drummer. Oh, man. So good. I was so glad that you talked to them because, I mean, they seem like such great people. And your your interview was great. And <clears throat> I was right. They they sound like great people. Yeah. It was awesome. They definitely were. And uh, Forever Friends, as far as I'm concerned, and definitely people hop on their new record if you haven't heard it, that as well. That brings a variety of the spice. And it has a little bit of everything. If you like anything in the heavy alternative hemisphere, they're kind of hitting it. And um, you can definitely tell their influences, you know, the bungle aspects, the cure aspects, you know, heavier pieces, uh, things like Melvin's and Helmet and uh, some of those influences, I feel like, shine through, too, on the riff writing. Of course, man. Great stuff. Well, folks, we mentioned it already in the conversation. Please stick around on the production piece and hear all of the awesome work that Mr. Calvin has uh, in his past. And before we get off here, I want to give Calvin an opportunity to talk about anything that he might have uh, going on out there or where he would like to direct people to check out his work, whether that's on social media or Bandcamp or anything like that. Well, um, I, th I thought about putting a lot of like ridiculous recordings that I've done over my existence on Bandcamp, um, specifically the Rock Hard Record stuff, which is kind of like a secret thing that I worked on for a while with like uh, uh, one dude and um, it was quite hilarious and we'll see maybe someday. But um, I'm also kind of starting the fire up with some dudes. I just got done kind of jamming with uh, some guys in a band called Hot Corpse. But um, due to work and their aspirations, it was quick to me that like I was going to be that ball and chain that we were talking about earlier. So I'm like, learn the songs. And it was a freaking blast to play with those guys. So it kind of got me itching to um, work again. And so I kind of reached back out to some dudes that I had started to before um, I, uh, my life got weird and um the, the beginning end of last year and the beginning of this year losing my dad well I didn't really lose him he just passed away um, I think I know where he's at I guess um, but like it kind of took me out of my creative aspect so it kind of shook me up a little bit I'm just now kind of pulling out of that thanks thanks to some uh, very expensive therapy which I would recommend for everyone not the very expensive part but uh, right uh, talking to people that can help you through things that maybe your brain can't deal with. Yeah. Those, uh, it's always a good thing, and it's easier now than ever. So uh, BetterHelp is something that's great for people to check into if 
even if you're just not feeling right. And I'm not trying to like bring anyone down, but like, uh, I think it's important to, um, just be honest with yourself and, you know, talk things through yeah. with an unbiased source. So, yes. uh, I just wanted to plug that really quickly. Um, but like, uh, I would certainly say that I started kind of talking with some dudes again, one of them, you know, his name's Marcus, uh, John Clark, you know him as well. I think we know them. And, uh, Chris Moore, uh, from, you know, he's, he's coming up in the scene pretty good. Of course, he's also very busy with Tony's new band, Fortunate Son. But we're kind of in the trading stuff back and forth and um, hope to be recording some stuff with those dudes. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, we'll see how that goes. So, And, and what hemisphere genre wise, like hemisphere genre wise, would you say that some of that is leaning toward? Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's heavy, of course. Um, Marcus is back on bass, which is, I mean, the dude just kills it on bass. Yeah. Um, and of course, John is a freaking prodigy. And, um, but like, uh, it's very botchy and, um, botchy and blotchy and, uh, heavy and chunky and weird time signatures and interesting and fun. And I think the kids are going to love it. Hey, sounds right up this kid's alley. You're speaking my language. That's for sure. You guys better be there if we ever come to your house to play you a record. Yes. I think I, I don't know. I might be busy that day. So it just I depends. will wait on your porch. <laughs> you know, anytime, sir. And uh, if you ever get anything in the works, you know, you guys with that or anything else you got going on, please let me know. We'll be happy yeah. to play it on the show. Plug and, it, play it. And uh, cast that net out there because uh, you're a guy that, you know, whether you knew it or not, did a lot for us, whether that was, again, some of the things I mentioned earlier. Uh, I had a lot of friendships, Springboard, just like going to shows that you were involved with and like you were the common thread or the band that you were in was the common thread for right. us to even be there. Yeah, like, same. You don't same. understand. Like, I don't think we would be friends if it wasn't for Last Flight Home specifically. Um, you guys don't understand the impact that you guys had on people. You probably do understand because I'm sure you've been told a lot of nice things as well. But hearing things like that is pretty awesome. So cheers to that. <laughs> well. I'm I'm glad, but uh, you know we got to give people their flowers. Pay homage uh, when due, and you're certainly a guy that deserves <laughs> more than a bouquet. So. Thank you all for sticking around after the break i'd like to thank calvin mcroy for his appearance on the podcast today what a treat to have him 
today and uh, giving us an hour and a half of his time, Josh. Yeah, we super appreciate it, Calvin. Uh, we know you had a you were pretty busy there tonight. You had your hands full, so we right? appreciate it. <laughs> we know how that goes, Dad. Shout out to the ladies, yeah, out there that make the everything moms go. Taking care of things so us dads can get together and talk right. about our days of old behind the scenes, making everything go around so we can do what we want. That's right. So shout out to Sam. Shout out to Pam. Shout out to Alyssa. And hopefully that gets us some browning points down the road, ladies. Don't forget. <laughs> Calvin, let's, you know, let's kind of do a quick recap of all the amazing things that he's been involved with, at least, you know, we've been pumping it on social media, but of course, kind of the, the forefront of the discussion, which basically took up all the time, was the fact that, you know, Calvin wasn't not waving but drowning, and uh, such a St. Louis institution, we wanted to give him his flowers for that, we wanted to give him his flowers for everything that he accomplished with Last Flight Home as well, and his time during that band, and, uh, you know, our fandom of him and all of the musicians of that band. Uh, certainly deserved a tip of the cap and a time in the spotlight today. Uh, we didn't really get into Past Life Tiger because I felt like we got into so many other heartfelt discussions. Uh, but Past Life Tiger is kind of an improv van also involving Marcus Newstead, Tony Saputo. And then I believe they have one of the guys, the guitarist in um, Daybringer working and playing with them now and then um Calvin alluded to some possible future works but Time and Time was another band we did touch on them briefly uh that Calvin was in with Brody and Tony and we talked about them and Fro on the last podcast and whenever I had Meyer Giants going we played several shows with them and had several opportunities to play together and that was always a treat and a night off um <laughs> you know it was a, a labor of love anytime we were able to play with those guys and it was just a joy to sit back and watch them, you know, do their thing and hone their craft in front of us. So, you know, Calvin's been very influential on me and um, certainly a guy that, you know, I've listened to his drumming and probably stolen more things than he realizes from him. And uh, I mean, we were even listening to Not Waving But Drowning before we were getting on the show today. Just kind of, it's kind of pumping me up, man. Honestly, you know, it's oh, had yeah. a it good like, party feeling. It's like nostalgic. taking me back, yeah. I mean, it's easy for us to do that with the last flight home, but, you know, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go the Not Waving But Drowning route before because, you know, we don't do that as much probably well, as we should. Last flight home gets frequent, probably frequently yeah. played around me. So, yeah, it was nice to dive into that Not Waving But Drowning. Yeah. And boy, man, talk about a band that was just so ahead of their time. But, you know. Yeah, some of the stuff that I was hearing, like we were listening yeah. to, I was like, man, they were doing this shit in 2000, you know, yeah. before bands were doing it in 2010, you know what yeah. I mean? So. Yeah. I mean, there's so many bands that went on to do very similar things, but, you know, broke through in the mid 2000s. So you're talking about a band that was doing this five, seven years before them. And just a band that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. I mean,. We consider ourselves a part of the St. Louis scene, but, you know, we're not as integrated as many other people. We're kind of stuck in our own little echo chamber because we're south a little bit here. But And um, our heydays are probably behind us. But nonetheless, you know, we know talented people when we see it and talented bands. And certainly anything that Calvin McRoy is ever involved with will be tuning in for. Sign me up, Buttercup. Absolutely. So he's the Lord of the Skins, the plunderer of pounding. He entered the Pound Palace today, and the master of skinnery, and uh, he brings the thunder in the groove, and those are all the things that we look for. So we bid you um, adieu and much success, sir, and thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, let's talk about what we got going on next week. Next week's going to be a special on-site. We're going south, Josh. We're going south, going even to more south. Cape Jir. We're going to Cape Jir, and down on there in Mississippi, Mississippi Lee, and uh, we're going to go down there literally on the river to the Spectrum 
Record Lounge in downtown Cape. So if you guys haven't checked this place out, very unique setup. It's a record store and bar, and we're really looking forward to this visit. September 9th, it's going to be an on-site. We're going to be emanating live around 10 a.m. Saturday morning. No big deal if you don't catch the live stream. Of course, we'll have video on demand in the following days. But we're going to be talking about the unique business model that they have down there, and a very cool place. I've had the luxury of visiting there once, well, actually twice as a patron, and uh, purchasing some goods and uh, was kind of scouting the place for a future visit and got a hold of these guys, and, and uh, they were interested in being spotlighted, but I thought they had a very cool, unique kind of niche setup. It has the small record store feel and the quaintness of, you know, something like a record space up in St. Louis or, you know, something like, you know, Planet Score in St. Louis, but at the same time, spacious, kind of modern, but maybe a little good music, good vibe, uh, lounging areas to like sit and socialize and just get get a good drink. They got some draft beers there, some bottled beers. I'm sure they have cocktails and stuff. We'll get into that with them, but I was only indulging in the beer side of things personally. <laughs> and uh, I've got, uh, if anybody saw our social media posts, that's where I got the bootleg of the Fort Worth Fugazi performance from 1989 on May 11th. I got that from there for a very good price and it was an amazing condition. And uh, was surprisingly good that Ridge and I watched after our Jaws showing that we had here last weekend on VHS projections. So that was a good time. And a uh, lot, of, lot of good finds there. I've gotten some very reasonable finds there. I got Seager Ross parentheses, special edition. Uh, I think it was the 20th anniversary or however long it's been. Um, I got that for like 49 bucks. It's one of the more expensive records I bought recently, but well worth it. One of my favorite records. And... Uh, very, very cool selection down there, and we're going to get into it a little bit more deeper next Saturday, Josh. I'm going to get it real deep. Well, as deep as I can get it. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, more easily achieved for some of us than others, and not so easily achieved for me. Well, sometimes I just have to get a running start, but... Well, you know, it yeah. takes all time. Sometimes you get to shim it up, hands on both sides. Um, of course, we're talking about diving in the deep end of the pool, right? So, you know, it's a swimming technique, guys. Just a few tips. Little pro tips. That's what this show's good for, right? We thank you for tuning in. Episode 85, 86. We'll see you next week at Spectrum Record Lounge. For this week, I am Barrett. Follow me at Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. He's Josh underscore Joshua Welch on Instagram. And we are out of time. Until next time, good night and good luck. And stay safe out there.
Hey, this is Josh from ATI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI Podcast 22, on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI, on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at atipodcastquestions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. This is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop. We'll be spotlighting folks and their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support, and as always, please stay safe out there.